So for the last 20 years, I've been trying to figure out how to buy sustainable wood and, and really not just sustainable, but, but regenerative wood. Like how do I buy some wood and know that I'm not contributing to destruction? That by making that purchase, I'm actually enhancing the life of the forest. That what I'm doing is, is giving money to a company that's trying to make there be more biodiversity, more complex ecosystem interactions, restoration of salmon habitat or whatever um, aquatic or terrestrial habitat is there. You know, because when we buy things that are products of the forest, of the land, it's kind of the biggest thing that we do that has an impact on um, the sustainability of life, the regenerative or lack thereof of life on planet Earth. How do you know whether the wood that you're buying is sustainably harvested? In this deep dive interview with Mendocino Redwood Company, I think you're gonna get the answer to that question on a really deep level. Sustainably harvesting wood is a complex equation. And anybody who tells you otherwise is either trying to sell you some BS or hasn't really thought it through. So in this interview, you're gonna get the ins and outs and the, the do's and don'ts and all the, the nuances of what does it actually look like on the ground when, you're, when the, a company's trying to live up to the highest standard that they can as a logging company, um, to you know, supply a big box store so that you and I can go buy two by four. So I wanna leave you with one thought as you're listening to this interview, and that is, what would it take? How can we? So this is what I think is the critical question. And nobody's at this place yet. No company is at this place yet. What we need to do as a culture is we need to start thinking about thousand year timelines. You know, we just hit, you know, the highest, hottest days, the highest levels of carbon in, you know, 100,000 plus years. So literally what we're doing, the impact that we're having on the planet we're on 100,000 year timelines. And we gotta, as a culture, get past at least you know, 50 year timelines, 100 year timelines, and get out to 1,000 year timelines. Now to MRC's Mendocino Redwood Company's credit, they're on a 100 year timeline. And they're hoping to go beyond that. But what is it gonna take for us to get to 1,000 year timelines? Because I truly believe that's where we're at as a human culture. We have to get to a place where our decisions are based on thousand year timelines because we're having such a huge impact on the planet. Um, so this is the baby step right here, right now. This is the baby step that moves us forward towards that thousand year timeline is trying to interact with and help these companies like MRC to do better what they're doing and to even expand the timeline that they're operating their forest health plan from. And I wanted to thank you personally for being someone who cares enough to learn about sustainable forestry practices. Um, you know, it, it gives me hope to know that there's other people out there that are willing to put in the time and the effort to learn about how our forests are managed so that we can make better choices, um, so that we can be part of the solution. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of bad news out there and I personally, and I hope you are holding on to a hope, not even a hope, but a, um, a taking little actions towards a brighter future, even when it feels hopeless. 
You know, I think that's, that's the definition of courage and the definition of, um, you know, being a, a warrior, a spiritual, ecological warrior is to just, when it looks hopeless, to just keep going and keep trying to do something to make the world a better place. So without further ado, uh, the deep dive interview with Mendocino Redwood Company. I'm Mike Stokes, reminding you that the choices that we make every day do matter and can make a difference. So today I have the privilege of interviewing John Anderson of um, Mendocino and Humboldt Redwood Company. Is that how you say it now? Yeah, that's how yeah. we say it. Um, and uh, John is the uh, forest policy director, director uh, and a certified... You, why don't you go ahead and say? Uh, registered professional forester. Registered professional forester. Okay. Um, what, what we want to do for the viewer is um, help them decide how to buy sustainable wood. You know, like what are the factors that are involved? And, and you know, frankly, for me, someone who's been committed to purchasing sustainable wood products as a builder and just as a consumer, it's been really difficult to figure that out. When I found uh, FSC, F Forest Stewardship Council is a certification product, uh, process that um, Mendocino and Humboldt Redwood Company use, I was relieved. I was like, oh my God, I can finally like rest rather than always hunting and wondering whether what, what I'm um, trying to buy for my product or my life is actually sustainable. Um, so I guess uh, let's just start with some of the, the simple stuff. Um, you know, we're, you're, you're looking at a piece of wood at Home Depot, um, and what, what is it, what does it mean to be FSC certified? Just like, let's do a broad, a broad stroke, and then we'll sort of get into the details later. When we first purchased these lands in 1998, we thought we had some great policies on managing forests and that we were sustainable. We were investing back into the land, doing a lot of the things that FSC uh, would like to see landowners do on their lands. And so even though we knew we were doing a good job, you know, we wanted a third party to come in and verify that. It gives us a little more credence to what we're saying. Right, right. And so in, uh, in 1999, we contacted FSC because we looked at some of the other certification schemes, but we didn't want one that could be criticized. And right. It seemed like at the time FSC was the most supported by a wide range of organizations. And uh, so we went with them and they came and it, that required like a week long audit. And uh, they liked what they saw on the ground, but they wanted to see some backup documentation. They wanted to see some additional language in our forest management plan. So to be frank, we didn't get certified during our first year. Um, they said, hey, here's a laundry list of stuff to right. work on. Well, that, that speaks well to the credibility of of what you guys did do and, mm -hmm. and, and the FSC program, because they didn't just slap you with the, you know, yeah, you're good stamp. to go. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> so we came back the following year after addressing all those, and we did get certified. And at that time, we just owned Mendocino Redwood Company uh, in that county. And uh, about 10 years later, the uh, Pacific Lumberlands came up, uh, not for sale, but in the bankruptcy court. And mm -hmm. so we were able to acquire those lands then. And because we had become FSC certified once, um, mm -hmm. our first attempt up there was successful in uh, being certified through FSC. Okay, cool. When I when I was doing my research this morning, I 
I saw this statistic that 80% of animals and a billion people are totally dependent upon forests for their lives. And I just thought it was is such a great metaphor for, for what, for talking about forest health. Um, and I was personally thinking about it, you know, being really committed to, um, you know, ecosystem health and trying to do my part in um, being a positive force for that. Um, I, w- I was thinking like, and, and this is sort of more of a meta conversation that, you know, so we had, it's now July, what is it, the, the 7th? Mm-hmm. July 7th, 2023. And it was a couple of days ago, we had the hottest day on record. And according to some of the scientific studies that I was looking at in 115,000 years, it's the hottest day on record and according to core samples and stuff like that. So, hmm. so clearly things are changing and clearly, you know, the, the debate about whether humans are uh, doing it is, is over. Um, there's a few people are going to hold on to that, but we're not, they're probably not watching this video. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I, I've over my years of trying to thinking about ecology and trying to think about how I could be a force for good. It seems to me that, that there's like two, two things that as human beings are kind of canaries in the coal mine for the whole planetary system. Um, and one is, is ocean health. And then the other one is, is forest health and size. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the, the unfortunate history of human civilization has been one of deforestation. Mm-hmm. One of clearing the forests and making land, making way for agriculture and other human-based uses. So, so that's why one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I, I believe that it's, it's one of those things that if we get it right, if we get forest management right, and we learn how to interact with our forests in a way that, you know, um, keeps them and, and even expands them. You know, there's big rewilding initiatives in Europe right now, not so much in the States, but um, it's starting all over the world. So, um, I don't know, I've, I've just said a lot of my meta ideas, and I guess I'm just curious on, like, um, what... How does how do you personally and how does your company sort of see the role of forests in in, in relationship to human civilization? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so many aspects to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, um, you know, certainly forests. Uh, we've we've been seeing the first thing that comes to mind is our loss from wildfires, which uh-huh. again is right. human caused. You know, we've suppressed fires now for hundreds mm-hmm. of years. And the last 10 years, uh, <clears throat> we've seen millions of acres of forest here in California burn up mm-hmm. as a result of poor forest management uh, mm-hmm. that's been uh, conducted historically and fire suppression. Right. And so top of mind, because those millions of acres, you know, that tells mm-hmm. me, hey, you know, we need to be doing something different here. Yeah. Because the forests are so important yeah. to our watershed health right. and wildlife habitat health. Right. and. Um, Can you say to the to the viewer who may not understand the different types of forests? Like there is forest fires. Like there's a there's a there's a fire that'll burn through a forest and not destroy it, and then there's a fire that'll burn through a forest and destroy it. So let me, yeah. let, let them know the difference between the two. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go back in time a little bit because uh, our forests were much different prior to European colonization. Here uh, we had. Uh, very common fires. We had, uh, I think UC Berkeley came out with a study that said in California, we had 4 million acres on average burn in California, but they were low intensity. Well, like every year? Every year. Every year? Yeah. Which, wow. You know, we think about that 4 today. 4 million acres? Yeah. Every year. And what, what burned last year? Uh, boy. Or you were you know, saying I th- a million? I'm going to say the big year was um, 
Yeah, last year was Caldor and Dixie. Those were put with million acre fires. Million and, acres, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we had a bunch of 50,000, 40,000. Yeah, you know, we were yeah. probably pretty close to that. Yeah. Um, and we're thinking, they, but those were the different kind. <laughs> those were the different kind. Those yeah. were very destructive fires uh, because of fire exclusion and um, lack of forest management. But going back to European times, uh, those fires would burn every 20, 25 years. Uh, we also had Native Americans, of course, doing their cultural burning. And so when you burn every 20, 25 years, you don't get the buildup of fuels, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're, uh, the trees that are small with a thin bark are dying as a it's result of the away, fire. Yeah. And so if you look at some of those forests uh, during that time period, we averaged in the state about 50 trees per acre. That's a very scattered right. kind of looking forest. But yeah. those 50 trees per acre were large trees with thick bark that yeah. were able to withstand those yeah. uh, rather cool fires, really. Right. Um, Which is, you know, and, and uh, coming back to just sort of a, a human aesthetic thing, it's like those are the kind of forests that we like. You know, we yeah. don't want to like bramble through all of the brush and stuff. We like that big open giant tree canopy. That's what's really gorgeous to right. us, you know. Right, yeah. But if you take it, well, we'll talk about that. I want to continue uh -huh. the yeah, story yeah. here. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, um, yeah, about 19... 08, we had a, a big conflagration. You know, we laugh because, well, it was about a million acres back then. Uh, people were killed. Um, the Forest Service developed Sm Smokey the Bear. In, in California, or uh, around the country? Like around the country, and, uh -huh. but particularly in the West. Uh -huh. And um, so we started putting all fires out because they uh -huh. were thought to be bad at the time. 1908 was when that started. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And uh, so... They had a rule, the Forest Service, a uh, 10 a.m. rule, which said we're going to put every fire out by 10 a.m. the next morning. Oh, wow. And so whether it was a beneficial fire, any fire. So, right. So uh, Forest Service uh, has been very good about that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've, and other agencies too. That was just kind of the right. my thinking at the time. So that resulted in uh, those smaller trees becoming medium-sized trees and more trees seeding in. And we now have around, depending on where you are in the state, about three to 400 trees per acre. So eight times? Yeah, yeah. Almost so, eight times. Almost wow. eight times. So now- Which results in smaller trees, right? Which results in kind of a mosaic of uh, size classes. So you end up with what Cal Fire calls a fuel ladder in the forest, mm -hmm. where you have small trees, medium trees, big trees that carry the flames up in the treetops. Right. And so that's why we see these very intense fires today. Mm. Um, and so now we have to somehow go in there and reintroduce fire again. Mm -hmm. But we can't do that uh, by just going into a forest that has three to 400 trees per acre and light it. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna burn everything up. Right. So somehow we gotta mimic um, those lightning fires and get fire back in the ground again. And what that's going to require is doing some kind of physical treatment to the trees um, so that we can get closer to that 50 trees per acre and then go in there every 20, 25 years like Mother Nature used to do and, and do a prescribed burn. Right. And up until recently, there's a lot of liability, uh, and there still is to a certain extent, about uh, putting a match to your land. Right. right. I mean, that's right. we as a company have done very little of that because mm -hmm. of the concern around the liability. Right. And so there have been some changes in uh, state law about that that have um, changed liability standards that have now encouraged some landowners to do more of that. But um, what we found in these areas where we have done 
forest thinning. We've done a prescribed burn, sometimes just forest thinning. Um, and this played out in the Caldor and the Dixie fires was when that fire, uh, wildfire was raging and hit those spots, um, it singed the end, uh, edges of that forest where the thinning had occurred because it had this wall of flame going yeah. at it, right? Yeah. But once it got into that stand, it didn't have that fuel Just ladder. Just lowered it down. And it lowered yeah. it down the ground, and it crept through the forest. Yeah. And then when it got to the edge of the treatment, it climbed back up in the treetops again. And Oh, interesting. And you can yeah. see that all around South Lake Tahoe as the Caldor was moving mm -hmm. into town. Um, I've seen interviews from the firefighters saying, thank God we got these treatments done ahead of time. Yeah. Um, but uh, the permitting to do those is very hard to do, so unfortunately... There were projects in the Caldor and the Dixie Fire that are in the planning stages that burned up because mm, they've see. been two years in Sequoia. Right. Or, right, but, right, right, yeah. right. So we're working on trying to streamline some of the permitting around that right, too. Right. Um, so that's where the state needs to go. They have a goal of treating a million acres uh, in all vegetation types, but mm -hmm. uh, particularly in forests, mm -hmm. uh, treating a million acres annually by 2025. Mm. And we're getting there. Got a, a long way to go. A couple years down the road. That's yeah. not too far away. Yeah. It's only like 16, 15 months yeah. away. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, yeah. to step up our game. Right. And uh, some of the academics are saying that's just a drop in the bucket, too. Right. Well, yeah. for sure. We should yeah. be doing two or three times that. Oh, for sure. So. Yeah. Well, that seems to be the, the course of humanity is we, we tend to... Um, Go too slow, too late. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, right. you know, hopefully we can speed up. So our first thing when we're talking about this sort of macro forest health idea to is is our fire management and mm -hmm. sort of upping the the ante with our fire fire management. And maybe while we're on that topic, um, maybe we should. So, for example, um, if, if there's anybody watching who has a small stand of trees. Um, I have 40 acres, probably more like 60 because it's a 40 square in a bowl. Mm -hmm. And um, there's it hasn't burned in 100 years, mm -hmm. you know. And so, you know, obviously, I think the low-hanging fruit is, you know, clear. Get Make your 100 feet of defensible space around your buildings. Yep. Um, and then once you start getting into your forest, um, like what would be just a, a beginner's course in um, thinning mm -hmm. so that we you know, can start to do that process in our own land if we, if, for anybody who manages small tracts of land. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's kind of two operations that you can consider. Um, one would be a commercial operation where, mm -hmm. boy, I'd like to make, you know, some money off my trees to help me pay mm -hmm. for all these treatments right. I'm doing. Right, And then there's one where, okay, I'm just going to bring in a crew and I'm just going to pay out of my pocket. Right. Hmm. So, um if we're doing the first one, uh, mm -hmm. commercial operation, yeah, um, there is. It, I talked about the permitting in California. Right. You know, normally right. a commercial operation requires a timber harvest plan mm -hmm. uh, that uh, requires you to hire a registered professional forester. Mm -hmm. um, the timber harvest plan costs forty thousand dollars. Right. Um, but you're going to yeah. get some money on the backside by delivering some logs to the right. sawmill. Yeah. Um, and that type of treatment. Um, the, well, let me back up a little bit. The timber harvest plan, you can bypass that because the State Board of Forestry created an exemption from that permit process cool. called the Forest Fire Prevention Exemption. Oh, cool. So, and it's meant for, well, any size landowner can use it, but it's okay. much cheaper and you can uh -huh. still commercialize some of the trees. So for me, it's like 40 acres, <laughs> mostly dug for a few a few redwoods, mm -hmm. which I probably wouldn't want to touch because they're pretty young, but... <laughs> 
-hmm. what would what would the permitting roughly do you, do you know what that would roughly cost or uh you know it would be less than ten thousand i would less think. than ten thousand yeah yeah, and then and then depending on what kind of board foot I got or whatever price I got for the logs, it yeah seems like it might be kind of challenging to actually make that. That's uh, true. Make a little money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we and we can talk about yeah. You, it might be a break-even uh, proposition, right. especially right. with Douglas fir versus redwood, and and mm -hmm. it's hard to say whether it'd be break-even or not because every landowner has their own goals, and right. I don't want to cut a tree over a certain size, and yeah, yeah, right. But overall, I mean, in both cases, you want to thin out the smaller and medium-sized trees. Those are those fuel ladders that I talked about. So how far up does the fuel ladder need to be, like, so that it doesn't hit the canopy of this big, you know, beautiful tree behind us? Or yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, generally 20 to 25 feet up the tree. Uh -huh. um, the forest fire prevention exemption. So are we cutting out everything below that height and all the smaller trees that, that are... Go ahead. You, I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, so you're, yeah, you're taking out the smaller trees, and uh, we're sitting here in a redwood clump, and I'm looking all around at the ones I would. We could spin the cameras around. You can uh -huh. see we're, we're looking. We, at can, we can spin the cameras around. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can spin right. one of the cameras around. Okay. So, um, so say again what you were saying. Yeah. So you can see in this clump we've got a, some very small trees. We've got some medium-sized trees. We've got some big trees. Mm -hmm. And so the goal here would be to uh, thin out those smaller trees and medium-sized trees, maybe even some of the bigger trees, because if we can separate the crowns of those large So, yeah, we would want to thin out the small, medium-sized trees, maybe even some of the bigger trees to separate those crowns so that if, even if we did these treatments and we had a crown fire that came through here, mm -hmm. um, I said generally, you know, those will be protected from crown fires, but yeah. let's say we had a red flag warning day here in 50 mile an hour winds. Anything right. we do in the forest is kind of all bets are off at that point. Right. So as a land, if I own the land, I'd say, okay, I got two larger trees here that are right next to each other. I'm mm -hmm. gonna take one of those. Take one out, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, another landowner might say, no, I've loved those trees for 20 years. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, I'll do what course. I can, but yeah. yeah. yeah so that's why I right. say everybody's different. Yeah. Um, so that's and so to optimize our forest health. So I think, uh, I think what might be interesting would be to optimize our forest health and um, uh, do the most fire mitigation possible. Like, is there a, a, a trade-off there, or is it pretty much the same thing? Um, yeah, I, ideally, what the state is looking at and where we need to go is be doing as large a projects as possible. You know, if you do a project such as what we're talking about in your 40 acres and everybody for two miles around you has done nothing. Of course. Yeah. I course, mean, it's yeah. like, okay, you, yeah. you might have a crown fire come into your 40 acres. And so. Right. So then it's just going to hit the crowns no matter what. But but then you said on the ones that had the mitigation, like, I mean, yeah. I could still, hopefully it could move down. Yes. And that would mean having a farther spread between the trees. That's right. 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 So that, that's going to be, if your neighbor's not doing his fire mitigation work, then mm -hmm. you're going to want to have at least for a, a, a zone of, of bigger spaces. And yes. again, like you said, 50 miles an hour winds, all bets are off, but right. <laughs> right. Know, right. at least try, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then outside of that uh, forest fire prevention exemption or a timber harvest plan, um, 
there are grant projects that the state is funding now too. Mm -hmm. And so this might be more desirable for a landowner mm -hmm. uh, to try and apply for one of those grants. Mm -hmm. And they've been very competitive, but mm -hmm. uh, they're throwing a lot of money at, you know, billions of dollars at these over the next few years. Cool. Um, and a lot of the viewers are, you know, national and international. Is there, is there other national grants programs as well that you are aware of or? Uh, you know, or I, other states or yeah, certainly in the infrastructure bill um, mm -hmm. uh, at the federal level mm -hmm. in the United States, there's a lot of funding for that mm -hmm. too, mm -hmm. um, for on forest service land, but also on private land adjacent to it. Cool. And so there's a lot of monies there. Again, they're looking at larger scale projects. So, right. You yeah. know, if you've got 40 acres, you know, I would encourage anybody to try and pony up with. Uh, you know, the, there's a group called the Forest Landowners of California, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe uh, there's other uh, landowners in your county that mm -hmm. you can pull together. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, so the like. Forest Landowners of California, they they do collective action. They do. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I was just mentioning how we can, uh, there's grant funding out there that mm -hmm. uh, they're looking at uh, large areas, you know, 1,000 acre, 2,000 acres. And the group I mentioned was the Forest Landowners of California. And they so have, you could hook up with them, yeah. they get the money, and then that pools all the owners together to do the work. Yeah, I'm not sure if they would necessarily, I'd have to talk with them if they yeah. would help facilitate that, but uh -huh. it would be a good avenue to right. be able to say, yeah. hey, yeah, here's yeah. The, our members yeah. in Mendocino County or right. Sierra County or cool. wherever. Yeah. So boots on the ground, we're trying to get our, we're trying to do our part to make this planet work we're managing our forest by doing new like really pushing forward on a better management forest plan where we have uh, prescribed burns um, where we're starting to address the overload of this um, too much too much um, fuel in the forests um, so that's kind of our number one priority in your mind of how to address at uh, least Western forest health, or is it entirely the United States dealing with the same thing or? Yeah, you know, we, uh, you know, you look at states like Florida mm -hmm. and uh, prescribed burns are like a common thing. Oh, I see. And mm -hmm. here in California, uh, we're, and I think the general public's coming around mm -hmm. uh, because there's a whole lot more of them going on. They're starting to be more visible, but mm -hmm. there's still a lot of concern that, right. you know, they've seen the wildfires. Burn my house. And, yeah, I don't want you to burn my house down. <laughs> yeah, I totally. Get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Cal Fire and other agencies uh, that are doing this, there's even prescribed burn associations, which mm -hmm. are groups of landowners. Mm -hmm. Now, they, I know this isn't your area, but are yeah. they doing this in Oregon and Washington oh, yeah. and Nevada? And it's all over the West. And yeah, and is yeah. it all over the country now? These new movements for more prescribed burns, or absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I great. saw a great example again of there's a fire called the Bootleg Fire up in Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a red flag day, mm -hmm. devastating fire, and there was a picture of you know from an airplane and. In the center of it was a green forest of about 300 acres. Wow. Everything in else. In the center. In the center. Because it had been managed? Or? It had been thinned and they had prescribed burned it before the wildfire. Wow. Yeah, phenomenal That's picture. amazing. Yeah. If you could find that photo, that would be super amazing I to have, see. I'll send it we to you. We put it right there on the little video segment. Yeah. When we were uh, emailing back and forth, um, you had said that... Uh, Kind of the, the olden days of just, you know, mass destruction, clear cuts of, of forests in California in particular, 
um, large like Maxim Corporation and the was it Louisiana Pacific or was it what we just had there was another land Louisiana Pacific did yeah a fair so amount. A, a lot of so all of those things so that um, is pretty much done right like that those kind of mass destructions don't really happen anymore at least in California um, so yeah, the forest practice rules came into play in 1974. So prior to that, it was just mm -hmm. do whatever you want to do in the forest. And, yeah. and so there was a lot of, and even early on in the forest practice rules, it was mm -hmm. a pretty thin book. Right. And, uh, that has evolved over time and now yeah. it's like 380 yeah. pages of two font yeah. that we have to follow. But well, there was still people that were, you know, cutting down old groves of like redwoods oh, yeah. and stuff, you know, up sure. through that time. And yep. cause I remember back in, um, 1990, Oh God, I don't know, was that three or four or something? Like Julia Butterfly Hill up in the Redwoods, up in, um, what, what's that called? Headwaters? Uh, it was wasn't it in, in headwaters. It wasn't in headwaters. Yeah, yeah, it was on our land now. It was on your land? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I took her out to that tree on the uh, 20th anniversary of her coming down. Oh, so, no way. Yeah, so that's that was, awesome. That was quite the treat. That, that is yeah, great. She's a great yeah. gal. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so I guess, um, yeah, why don't you speak to that? Like, how has that evolved? And what yeah. is, because, because, I mean, I remember people telling me, like, oh, let's go up and, like, get in the chain gang line or whatever sure. and I, I never went <laughs> but uh, but i remember thinking about that and thinking you know what is this what 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 should we be doing yeah. yeah yeah uh yeah that that was really known uh, in our area as the redwood summer <clears throat> uh there's a lot of uh, timber harvest plans being approved um you had companies like Maxam Corporation that took over a family business, hostile takeover, and said, we're going to do more clear-cutting. And clear-cutting is legal in California still, mm -hmm. uh, but the sideboards on it now are very restrictive. With, what does that mean, sideboards? Um, so the regulation, regulations associated with whether it's a clear-cut or a thinning like mm -hmm. you know our owners tell us uh -huh. they want us to do. Yeah. Um, Can you know, we back up a little bit? I sure. just want the, the viewer to understand, like, there, there is also still some clear cutting allowed in FSC certification, or not really much at all. There is, but they're not true clear cuts. They're not so true clear cuts. Yeah. You think of a clear cut as every single tree is taken out. Right. Yeah. So under FSC certification, there has to be some retention in those clear cuts. Right. Um, and the clear cuts, you know, they want to know how big are they going to be? Are they mm -hmm. are they going to be the maximum acreage under state law? And that's 120? <coughs> that's, or? No, that's, that's only 30 acres in California. Well, 30 acres in California. With an exception up to 40 if, you know, there's some little sliver. Is it 120 in Oregon? Or? I think it's 120 in Oregon. It's 120 in Oregon. That's yeah. where I got that 120. Yeah. 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 So big difference there. Yeah. And, um, so and then the, for SFC, for that 30 acres, doesn't it have to be for like a particular reason, like a beetle infestation or not, not, not that rigid? It, not that rigid. Yeah. I mean, you certainly have to uh, show that you're operating sustainably. Mm -hmm. And so if we t think about it in very basic terms, mm -hmm. if you have 100 acres and mm -hmm. you clear cut one acre every year mm -hmm. and you come back to that first acre, you're going to have a 100-year-old forest and... Mm -hmm you know, technically sustainable. Right, 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 right. But under FSC, they're like, yeah, that's sustainable, but, you know, we want to see more retention in those openings. I see. And uh, I see. make sure you're complying with the, the strict yep. forest practices. And we haven't we have talked here. about the FSC principles yet, but there's the biodiversity, there's the there's the habitats, there's the water habitats, and anyways, so we can talk, we'll talk about that in a little bit okay. more later, but. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, with, with clear cuts, um, you know, they're, they can be managed and are in California managed mm -hmm. on a sustainable basis. Mm -hmm. 
And with things uh, in consideration like visual resources, you know, everybody thinks, you know, that's ugly. And so Cal Fire, if someone submits a timber harvest plan for a clear cut next to Highway 80 going to Tahoe, they might mm -hmm. say, hey, no. let's rethink this drink here. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's, uh, you know, in California, when it comes to the forest practice or rules, we have the most stringent anywhere on the globe, and I have yet for anybody really? to challenge me. Anywhere on in the globe? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I mean, way more than Oregon and Washington, yes. Canada. And yeah. In fact, yeah. I'll even go out on a limb and say they're the most stringent in the intergalactic universe right here in California. <laughs> so, um, so if well, we're, we're going to have to interview some of those intergalactic representatives to see right. if that's actually true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I've always said if we want to use wood, and we mm -hmm. do, um, and we need to thin out our forests for all the fire reasons we've talked yeah. about. Yeah. And in California, very unfortunately, we have a glut of black timber, you know, that we could use. What does that mean? Um, it's burned. It's burned. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, all that wood in the Caldor and the Dixie, and I can uh -huh. just keep rattling them off, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Um, you know, let's use that wood uh, because... Soon so you can still harvest a burned tree. Is that what you're saying? Yes, you yeah. can. Yeah. Um, and most tree species, like all the ones in the Sierras, mm -hmm. you've got about a year and a half or so before... Um, bark beetles start coming in. Right. Other rots. So you gotta in. you gotta harvest them quick. You gotta harvest them quick. Right. Yeah. 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 And you know, so, some argue that hey, that's a good woodpecker habitat, and you know, so well, you don't have to take all of them. <laughs> you don't have to take all of them. Right. You know, but uh, if you're as a landowner hoping to pay for your kid's college with some trees someday, you know, mm -hmm. you're probably gonna go after them. And of course, mm -hmm. a timber company would try and recover that value as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so. All that wood being uh, this wood basket we have here in California, mm -hmm. you know, why not get wood here from California with those strict regulations mm -hmm. rather than importing it from another country? <clears throat> now, are they doing that? Are, are, are companies like you and other companies going into those burnt stands and, and harvesting them? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, you know, with the size of these fires now, you're not going to get that much. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're getting everything you can. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes on steeper mm -hmm. ground, it's very expensive to right. go get those types of. Trees. And then that brings up a good question. Then, is you're, you're you're dealing with this degraded habitat. You're you're using heavy machinery on roads and stuff like. How do how do you manage that? Or how does how does so you as a company, you guys aren't dealing with any burn stands right now, or uh, knock on wood. Knock uh, on wood. Okay. Yeah, but, but we have. But according yeah. to okay. Yeah. So then so. So there's there's how California would make you do it, and then there's also how um, you guys would do it. Um, so how 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 do you manage that? How do you make sure that there's not like extra erosion and um, problems that sediment you know run off into the rivers? Sure. Because the land is so you know, I mean, I, one of my greatest fears is that the backside of my land burns, and then my my. Um, land side prone slope mm -hmm. is gone and takes out my house you know <laughs> sure sure yeah. so how, what do you guys do about that yeah uh, so that big thick rule book i talked about mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of that is related to erosion control mm -hmm. uh lion slides um, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of regulations in there about mm -hmm. salvaging burned trees mm -hmm. um, and trying to minimize that uh, mm -hmm. to the greatest extent possible and i said the forest practice rules evolved over time mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago that Cal Fire does a bunch of research, and they found that roads are the biggest sediment source for streams. Right. Yeah, yeah. It seems right. Yeah, you know, pretty obvious. Pretty right? obvious, but yeah. you know they did some research yeah. and confirmed that. And so the forest practice rules were upgraded with a whole road rules package to 
what they call hydrologically disconnect roads from water courses. So, oh, interesting. So, and in, 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 in normal speak, what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> in normal speak, that means um, taking your road and putting a number of drainage treatments into it. So what you might want to... What's a drainage treatment? Um, getting water off the road when it rains. So if you have a road, let's say going across a slope, you're outsloping that road. So uh -huh. water just goes across the right. road right. It, versus having a flat road right. that yeah. will carry that water down, creating right. roads. Right, right, right. And a lot of roads dip down in stream crossings. So where does that drain off? But in Into the stream. Into the stream, yeah. 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 So a lot of roads now today on these road rules are mm -hmm. designed to... Let's ramp up to the stream crossing, uh -huh. so that road. Oh, so there's no sediment that's going to go into this. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And if you do have to dip down, there's requirements mm -hmm. for rocking the entire road surface mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. having um, either having it outslope before the stream crossing, mm -hmm. so you have very little water, and uh -huh. what is getting uh -huh. there is on a rocked road. Right. Um, and where that does drain off is also rocked before it gets to uh -huh. the to the creek. Uh -huh. um, and I'll, I'll tell you that. Erosion really doesn't need to be a concern, um, given those road rules. Right. And also the fact that well, that's cool. The uh, you have one state agency uh, working for the public here that makes sure this doesn't happen, and that's the regional water quality control boards. They review every single one of our permits. They come out on the ground. Um, they look at the permits post harvest to make sure these drainage uh, mm -hmm. facilities are on roads. They look at stream crossings. They look at the trees and see, you know, hey, if you said you're going to leave X number of trees, that indeed we did. So mm -hmm. um, we have CAL FIRE and the water boards, mm -hmm. Department of Fish and Wildlife, mm -hmm. Department of Conservation that mm -hmm. deals with the potential mm -hmm. for landslides. All, so all these let, are let's, let's address that a little bit, if you don't mind. So sure. I don't know how many people would be concerned about that who are watching this, but but I'm concerned about it. You know, like mm -hmm. um, there's, there's just this meme in part of the America that, that California is ridiculous, you know, like get out of California. There's too many rules. So you're talking about a lot of agencies and a lot of rules. Mm -hmm. And, um, I guess I, I want your perspective on like, obviously there's a lot of work to, to deal with all this stuff, but I, I want your perspective on like, what, what are the, the pros and the cons mm -hmm. of having so much oversight mm -hmm. around this forest, the, the forest management that we're dealing with? Yeah. Definitely pros and cons. I, I talked about some of the pros, the fact that any commercial timber harvest here in California is highly regulated. Mm -hmm. And so if that's going to be the case, um, we, we know that CAL FIRE is going to make sure we're operating sustainably. All these other agencies mm -hmm. are going to be enforcing that big rule book. So why not get wood from California? We know that they're being watched like a hawk. Yeah. The, the can, negative. I, can I just add a point to that? Sure. Like, I, I think that's often something that we don't think about. Like, I, I'm just getting it at a whole nother level. You know, we talk about local and the importance of buying our food local. Yeah. But people don't think about wood local. Yeah. You know? I mean, and that yeah. is so important. You know, one of the reasons that I got back into um, fishing in California was because of how well managed the fish stocks are. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very poorly managed around most of the world. And, and I would venture to say that California is probably one of the best in the world mm -hmm. in terms of fish management as well mm -hmm. as forest management, according to now I'm learning from you. So I, I guess I just wanted to underline that, that that is so, it's such an easy way to make sure that our purchases and that our choices are actually 
fostering our values, you know, like conserving mm -hmm. the forest. So I just wanted to underline that. Yeah. And now you're going to talk about Good whatever point. the cons, <laughs> whatever <laughs> you were going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the cons are it's a whole lot cheaper to uh, produce lumber in other states. You know, for they the short term. Um, for the short term, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, for instance, the other day I was, uh, well, it was a couple of years ago, but I was up around Mount Shasta mm -hmm. uh, near the Delta Fire on I-5 there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Every tree's black. Mm -hmm. And there's a train track coming down there, yeah. and yeah. there's a train coming it. down with, uh, yeah. it has a bunch of Canadian lumber on it. Uh -huh. yeah. And I'm like, boy, you know, it's cheap enough to get Canadian lumber. Uh-huh down in, into California right. versus right. right here in our own state. Right. And of course you can talk about the carbon footprint of bringing it down here as well. Right. So yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah that's competitive. So uh, are the Canadian rules like way lower than American rules or? Uh, Canadian, uh, Washington, Oregon. Yeah, I, I, I called Oregon about four or five years ago and I said, hey, you know, our permit process is pretty stringent. We have to put together mm -hmm. this 400 page timber mm -hmm. harvest plan. And, yeah. and what's your permit process like? And they mm -hmm. said, John, stop right there. There's no permit. There's a notification that a landowner wants to log. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we tell them to wait two weeks. We look at any records for any endangered species that, that are on record. Just on record. Just on record. Not on site. It, not, well, any on site on record. Yeah, but if, they if have. they're on site and not on record, <clears throat> Yeah. We don't see them. We don't see them. Yeah. And uh, so I'll get a little bit of what we have to hear. But uh, so if they do their environmental review for two weeks and, you know, it's all good, then go to work. In California, uh, we have to start our surveys uh, two years in advance for one particular species, the northern spotted owl. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to do two years of surveys before we submit the Timber Harvest Plan. We have mm -hmm. to do botanical surveys and amphibian surveys and archaeological mm -hmm. surveys. That's all on the landowner here in mm -hmm. California. Mm -hmm. So um, all that gets put into this thick Timber Harvest Plan. So you can mm -hmm. imagine someone who wants to invest in timberland is like, mm -hmm. California? Hell no. No. Yeah. 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 yeah right. So uh, that's a negative. But, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it, that's... Well, it's that's, a negative... But is there a way to, I guess the question for me would be like, okay, I want, I want the best of both worlds. I want the habitat preserved. Sure. I want people doing sustainable stuff on, you know, I mean, it's your land, you know, do what you want. But still, we're all impacted by what you do on your land. Mm -hmm. If, you know, fire rushes through there or we lose an endangered species or you destroy the stream that's running through your land or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Or you destroy a habitat that, you know, the, the deer used to rely upon in order to go. I, mean, I don't know if that would apply for forestry as much, more prairie land. But you were talking earlier about restoring prairie lands, you know, yeah. but so it's all interconnected. Sure. I guess that's the point is... Is how do we? Um, is there a way to streamline that oversight mm -hmm. uh, and give people sort of maximum privacy? No, no, um, not privacy. Um, private ownership leeway mm -hmm. while still sort of holding the umbrella, the, the umbrella stuff together. I mean, obviously, it's a huge question, which probably take researchers years and years and years to figure out or, or something. But mm -hmm. what's your just sort of you know ten thousand foot take on that? Yeah, uh, so two things. So, you know, I said it's kind of a negative that no one would invest in timberland here in California. Yeah, yeah. And um, the reason I said that was, uh, you know, I talked about this million acre goal that the state has. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, the need by some research. million acre to, to process at a fire safe level. It's a fire yep. safe level. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And um, we don't have the infrastructure um, to be able to do what we really need to do, which is even more than a million acres. Mm -hmm. And if we had more people that uh, own timberland that mm -hmm. would be willing to invest in infrastructure, then mm -hmm. we can get more of our forest treated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mm -hmm. hear commonly, John, how could we cut a tree down in this day and age in climate change? And, mm -hmm. you know, let's look again, you know, at the mega fires and mm -hmm. what happens when we do nothing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so we got to cut trees down. We got in the in the era of climate change. We got to cut trees down. Yeah. We got to manage our forest Right. Else. Right. Yeah. Leave the big boys. Yeah. But yeah. cut a bunch down. And yeah. even uh, you know, in my mind, take a couple of the big boys because yeah. we need to separate those. It, yeah. I yeah. mean, leave yeah. leave the healthiest big boy or yeah. or the second healthiest yeah. big boy. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And that'll help pay for your operation too. You know, if mm -hmm. it's not a grant project mm -hmm. or something yeah. like that. But in, in the on your sep second. Uh, topic there about permit, um, you know, ease, you know, mm -hmm. that's something I've been working on for four or five years because mm -hmm. I talked about the timber harvest plan. Mm -hmm. That's one of three state permits that we have mm -hmm. to get. We have yeah. to go to the water boards and get mm -hmm. their permit, even yeah. though they reviewed the timber harvest plan. Yeah. We have yeah, to go yeah, to the yeah. Department of Fish and Wildlife and mm -hmm. get their permit. Yeah. And all of it is just cut and pasting out of that timber harvest plan. And so it's like, boy, can't we put all that into so one, just permit? one permit? Yeah. yeah. And then Everybody can get to work quicker, and I'm yeah. not talking about dropping down. Is the anybody working on like a bill to make it one uh, plant, one thing? So, you may have heard that the governor formed the Wildfire and Forest Resiliency Task Force, and uh, there's a number of us that are working with them and uh, on various topics, mm -hmm. whether it's an effort to get to a million acres of mm -hmm. fuel reduction, mm -hmm. um, but one of them is uh, permit synchronization. A working group mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so I'm working with that group uh, to try and cool. streamline that process cool. That's great. so that we can <clears throat> get uh, you know the timber harvest plan I said two weeks in Oregon the timber harvest plan takes 120 days in our area mm -hmm. takes you know maybe 90 in other areas mm -hmm. um, but then you still have to get these other two permits at least yeah. in our area yeah, so yeah, yeah. we could be done yeah. in 120 days rather than another couple months yeah and all we're, do, we're doing in those couple months is reviewing what we've already looked at. Right. So right. we're working yeah. on it. So just keeping streamlining the process. And is there anything that you think, other than having to submit to different agencies, is there anything that you think is totally redundant or kind of unnecessary? I mean, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but sure. Um, but what would you change if you had a magic wand? So I got like you're you're going to reduce it down to just one permit process. Mm -hmm. Is there any other? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, one that comes to mind. Um, so Governor Newsom, uh, a few years ago, uh, gave a CEQA exemption to 40 fuel reduction projects covering 90,000 acres. Mm -hmm. And they, again, the environmental regulations still stayed in place, but it was just mm -hmm. a CEQA review. And what is that? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so the California Environmental Quality Act mm -hmm. is what governs um, any project that uh, could potentially harm the environment. Mm -hmm. So you have to do an environmental impact report mm -hmm. if you put in, say, a housing subdivision. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the timber harvest plan under law is considered the functional equivalent to an environmental impact report. Oh, I see. Uh -huh. So we do our secret review under that timber harvest plan. I see. Uh -huh. So, uh, and it applies to fuel reduction projects too. Mm -hmm. You know, there's potential to harm the environment if you're out mm -hmm. there having equipment moving around and. <clears throat> Um, 
And so anyways, uh, he said, it, it was another one of those mega fire years. He said, I'm yep. going to exempt the California Environmental Quality Review, not mm -hmm. the regulations. So you guys can get to work, get that 90,000 acres done. And mm -hmm. it got done mm -hmm. and was successful. And mm -hmm. uh, so I've been pushing for, boy, if, we, if that 90,000 acres was successful, mm -hmm. let's look at every single year the most fire-prone 200,000 acres yeah. and give that yeah. an exemption. That's you know, right. Uh, yeah. Let's. We got to get this ball rolling, right? Yeah, like totally. We said, yeah. you know, the million-acre goal is due in about 16 months. Yeah. Uh, right. we, Which most likely is insufficient. Yeah. It's not enough. I don't think we're yeah. going to get there. Yeah, no, I mean the million acres oh. isn't even enough. Yeah, yeah. The million acres is yeah. even enough. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, we're. It, it is a time for radical action. You know, it's it a is. time for you know, like I brought up the hottest day on record. It's that's just, uh, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's, there's a whole iceberg underneath there that's, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting times ahead of us. So. Yeah, I, you know, I speak very passionately about wildfires because I encourage the viewers or listeners to go out to one of these megafires and stand on a ridge. Yeah. Where, and I just did this on a tour with uh, some of the staff of legislators, and mm -hmm. it blew everybody away. It even blew me away. We're on a ridge. Everything is black. Um, and we're looking at a black 40,000 acres. Yeah. And as far as the eye can see. Yeah. Staggering. Yeah. And the Caldor Fire is a million acres. Yeah. You know, this was nothing what we were looking at. Mm -hmm. And so... And uh, they're all gone. And they're all gone. Yeah. yeah there's no... There's no... And, and, and I guess... It's important to just pause and and remind me and and the viewer and listener that uh, that's not the way it would have burned. No, it would no. have just burned through there, and the forest would still be there. That's right. And so that huge carbon sink is now gone. It's now gone. And and so we so I, I mean I get it. Like I didn't come into this interview thinking we were going to talk so much about fire. Um, I remember last time we were talking, we were talking mostly about fire. Um, but I I get what you're saying. Like it it is really the key. To, to forest health, it's the it's the it's the most important thing right now. Yep. You know, is to get back to forests that can handle fire. Yeah. yeah. We're losing more acres to that by far than anything else in California. Yeah. 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 Right. Yep. Whereas in the Amazon, they're losing it by people are torching it and putting in like soybean fields or whatever. But here, that's that's not our issue. We're we're actually just losing it by natural fires because of our bad fire because of all the stuff that we've done over the last hundred years that were just bad choices. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'd love to talk a little bit about FSC and, um, you know, what it is uh, and how it works. Um, you know, we, we were talking a little bit earlier uh, that FSC, it, it, it was formed in 1993, uh, in the words of the founders, after the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio failed to produce an agreement to stop deforestation. A group of businesses, environmentalists, and community leaders came together to create Forest Stewardship Council. The FSC mission is to promote environmentally sound, socially beneficial, and economically prosperous management of the world's forests. Um, so what I thought might be really instructive for people would be, you know, um, FSC has their 10 core principles, mm -hmm. right? And each one of those principles is going to have a direct impact on the way you run your business if you're going to be FSC certified. Mm -hmm. So that maybe we could just go through those principles um, kind of one by one and you could tell me how it impacts your business and how you um, how you operate within that principle. 
Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we can do that. I'll just preface the, yeah, whole, yeah. Conversation. We'll preface the whole thing. Yeah, yeah by yeah. saying um, when we pursued, and I think I touched on this a little bit, when we pursued FSC certification, we changed very little on the ground, um, mm -hmm. you know, because they said, mm -hmm. hey, uh, protect high conservation value forests. And those are old growth forests. Old growth, and yeah. they're streamside buffer zones. And, mm -hmm. uh, and the forest practice rules, you know, have protections in, the st mm -hmm. in streamside buffer zones. And mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, but there were some, you know, minor tweaks. That so we let's back up a little bit. Something else that we had talked about, or we had emailed back and forth about, is... Um, well, let me say it this way. So I really believe in, the, in, in small ownership. Like, I think that small ownership is, is, is really the most potentially sustainable way to go forward. It, it has its problems, you know, the organization and, and economies of scale and things like that. Um, uh, but, you know, if you have a small family-owned operation, um, they're going to have more of an incentive to especially if they care about the the legacy of their land, they're gonna they're gonna want to keep it in good condition for future generations if they care about um, continuing whatever they're doing, whether that be you know a small hardware store in a company in a in a, in a town or um, or a small landowner. Um, so when I was looking up um, the differences between FSC and SFI, mm -hmm. uh, Sustainable Forestry Initiative. Um, the SFI uh, was mainly uh, a, a lot of the players or the big boys, the big corporate entities, more mm -hmm. sort of Wall Street and profit driven. Um, so it, it seems to me that, you know, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting to is that um, there's a real difference between the value sets of mm -hmm. a small landowner company and a large sort of, you know, corporate profit driven property. Now, now everybody's going to deal with profit. Everybody's got to manage their cash flow. You know, mm -hmm. I got to manage my cash flow when I go to buy groceries, you know, but there's, there's a different mindset when you're, you're trying to maximize profits for your shareholders, uh, in, in wall street as when you're a small landholder corporation for your family and you're just making sure that your family's got what it's, what it needs. Um, so it, it, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that that smaller ownership model, um, maybe in private hands, uh, is just has more of um, an incentive to protect the land kind of naturally. Mm -hmm. And then if you lay the FSC on top of that, uh, then you kind of have a win-win situation there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would, uh, well, first, I think it's important for listeners to know that in California, um, all of the major players now are family-owned forests. So the Georgia Pacifics, the Louisiana Pacifics, they were here. They're not mm -hmm. here anymore. So all of the big, there's none? There's none. So yeah. they've all left. Yeah. So They took as much wood as they could. They took as much money as they could. They brought it back to Wall Street, and now they're gone. Uh, they saw all the regulations going on in California that we talked about and mm -hmm. said, hell no, let's go to a place. We can't where, make enough money. Yeah, or, or we don't want to deal with all this crap here. Yeah, yeah. I see. So they I left. See. Right. <clears throat> and uh, so even you know the largest landowner in California, Sierra Pacific Industries, mm -hmm. is they have one point. Uh, correct me, SBI, but you know it's something like 1.4 million acres, uh, and they're family-owned. And oh, cool. you know, in our company, uh, second largest landowner, 440,000. You guys acres. are second. Uh, we're second. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. So, um, and 
so the you know even our owners are very long term you know they've mm -hmm. put a ton of money in grant um, funds for restoring fisheries mm -hmm. habitat you right know, where yeah. bad things happened in years past. so, so I, I guess that's the point i wanted to sort of just address with you is like the owners when they purchased land they came in from a values driven place to begin with mm -hmm. right it wasn't right. like they're like let's see how much money we can make we're like we love forests right we we want to make this thing work and i think we can make a business with it right yeah. well it's funny you say that because yeah our tagline is that uh we want to manage this land with a high level of environmental stewardship, mm -hmm. but still operate a successful business. Right. If we can't do that, we're not going to right. do the former. Yeah. And it, it's, I like to think about it. So this is kind of like for me in the, in the sort of back to the, the meta conversation, like we all have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't just go out and be an environmental activist and not put food on my table. Yeah. You know, I have to be a viable business in and of myself. And so that's sort of the, that's the game that everybody and everything has to play now. You know, the era uh, of extractive wealth is rapidly coming to an end. Yeah. You know, so we all have to figure out how do we make money? How do we have a viable business? And how, how do we regenerate the, the degradation that's, that's came before us? Yeah. 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 And this grove right here is a perfect example of, you know, we're, we're moving on, you know, mm -hmm. <coughs> we, yeah. we harvested. What, what a great metaphor too. So, yeah. so we got like this guy behind us, which um, I'll do a, I'll do a camera spin. Okay. So, so this guy behind us, he's, how would you say he is? Um, I'm calling him he, maybe it's a she, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's a she. <laughs> uh, you know, I just saw growth rings on a stump. These are very fast growing redwood trees. Uh -huh. It's probably yeah. about 70 years old. So it's, it's a 70 year old tree, but still it's a beautiful old tree. And then if we come here, like this is, this is what we had before. Yep. That's where we came from. So we can't like dwell on that. That's where it is. And that we think was thousand. Yeah. At least a thousand years. At old. least a thousand years old. <clears throat> and that was harvested. What? Probably how, how long ago do you think? Uh, probably around, uh, uh, you know, we harvested a lot of these forests after the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. So, so after 1906, so, so 100 and t almost 15, 20 years ago or something like that. Um, but there we are. So yeah. we're not, we're not in this world anymore. We're in this world, but we're still got to do the best that we can with what we have. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So you want to get into the principles? Sure. Okay, great. Um, so I think we've already talked about the first one. The first principle is just compliance with the laws. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that's really interesting too, because so that's FSC's number one certification criteria. And you're saying that the big players left the state because they don't want to comply with the laws. <laughs> so, so they just left. And obviously, they're not going to get um, FSC certified. Now, that would be yeah. interesting, too. So an FSC certified lumber company in Oregon is going to be very different than an FSC certified. Well, I don't know if it'd be very different. But in that particular principle is going to be different for that company than for, for a California company. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't know it, how it works. It may, maybe they take that in consideration and, and yeah. modify their FSC. Their you know, I when we talked about clear cuts, and I go mm -hmm. to that because that's our main form of harvesting up there. Um, they require some retention in those clear cuts. So FSC does. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So Oregon. Whereas the state doesn't. Right. And here the state does. No. No. Okay. They don't. Never mind. Okay. Okay. Just trying to get it clear. Yeah. Sure. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's confusing. Right. So. Okay. <clears throat> anything else about the compliance with the laws that you think is interesting yeah i mean that was easy for us when we got certified yeah. right okay yeah. right you're already doing it yeah. 
Um, and then the other one is workers' rights. The second one is workers' rights and employment conditions. So how does that uh, impact you guys, and how do you um, verify that that's that their standards are being met? Like, did they did you have to change anything, or was it the workers' rights were already established, or? Um, so yeah, I mean, already we treat our employees right. You know, yeah. We pay them well. Yeah. Benefits are well. Yeah. Uh, so what they really focused on was. Um, our contractors employees so we've oh, had a, a number of audits like I mentioned I they, they come out annually to make sure uh, you know that we abide by all these principles mm -hmm. and in um, every five years they do a full audit of every single principle and mm -hmm. every audit in between they pick two or three to focus on I see so I see. Um, and I've been on many audits and a lot of times we'll go out to a active logging job mm -hmm. and um, they will say we want to go talk to the contractor the contractors uh -huh. not even the boss the, the, the employers the employees, the employees. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> yeah yeah and they'll say John and all you guys from the company get out of here get out of here <laughs> <laughs> we'll, well come back good. to because that, that's what people are really looking for these days it's like everybody's telling me that they're green everybody telling me that they're environmentally conscious and socially just and like but we don't know Right. So they need something. They need to know that detail. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to make sure I get this in at some point. And mm -hmm. one of our policies is to take anybody anywhere on the ownership. We're very transparent. Careful if way. this thing goes viral. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of I mean, make a lot of trips to the woods. <laughs> That's fine. I love coming to the woods. Um, but uh, yeah, I, and you know, I could say this in a meeting. Yeah, you know, we're we meet all these easy, but it's so much better to come out here and see it yeah. firsthand. You yeah, know, you can verify. Yeah, totally. And you'll have a good time. Too. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, indigenous peoples, right? Like, is there indigenous? Are you working with indigenous communities in California? Um, yeah, that kind of goes back to the existing laws. Um, oh, there's so, already California laws about that? Um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So in that timber harvest plan is a whole confidential archaeological section. Mm -hmm. And we have to protect any uh, historic sites, anything 45 years and older. So like mm -hmm. think cabins and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and 45 I, years? Yeah, That's... 45 years and older. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Seems kind of short term, but that's I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, that yeah. puts me as an archaeologist or a historic yeah. site. I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but also prehistoric sites, and, you know, mm -hmm. Native American sites and that mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that the public can't see that. But mm -hmm. as part of that process, we have a whole list of local tribes that we contact. I see. We give them a map and uh -huh. we say, hey, do you know of any sites? You mm -hmm. know, we've got a confidential record of where right. we have recorded those sites in the past uh -huh. right. um, but did we miss anything right and so so you would say that in terms of your particular company's interaction with principle three the indigenous people's rights you're mainly dealing with uh, sacred sites uh well i would say in the past so our, one past, of our yeah one uh -huh. of our last audits said uh -huh. yeah that's great you're complying with the law mm -hmm. you know you're mm -hmm. sending them a notice uh -huh. um, most of the time we hear nothing back from them mm -hmm. right. um, and in this day and age of trying to get more traditional knowledge on the lands mm -hmm. um, and trying to introduce more cultural burning mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. want you to do more we want you to reach out and try and establish relationships so FSC told this to you in your last audit that's right so good so that's the part that for me doing this interview and and like wanting to develop more trust myself in the fsc certification mm -hmm. like that's the part i want to hear like they're actually saying to you like okay this was great 
now why don't you go out and what we really want is you to, to reach out to these people and see what you can do. So, so what has that, how, how's that gone? Is that, is that producing um, any fruit or? Uh, so we're still working on it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, uh, there's establishing relationships with tribes yeah. is not something you just pick up the phone. No. And go, hey, yeah. you know, no. well, you want to come out with me? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. quite work that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we own all the land you used to have here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you want to come see what's not yours anymore? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, we, uh, I work with a couple associations in, um, uh, in Sacramento that, that mm -hmm. has tribal membership. Oh, cool. Um, I also Great. work... Uh, uh, with uh, tribal entities on Jackson State Forest because I'm on their advisory group. And that's up in Mendo that's near Fort Bragg. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so they've incorporated. They've had some uh, Native American groups helping them do controlled. Uh, oh, cool. We're not. Yeah, if they're involved, they're cultural burns. Right. Oh, interesting. So that's a <laughs> um, distinction. And, and controlled it, versus cultural. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And there are differences. You know, not just having Native mm -hmm. participation. Mm -hmm. You know, one that they did up there was under a tan oak stand because mm -hmm. a lot of the tan oaks were getting infected by mm. some kind of larvae that mm -hmm. you know therefore they weren't edible acorns mm. and this was happening year after year oh. because of an exclusion of fire and yeah. so uh, the yeah. staff at jackson state was learning how do we do these yeah. burns under tan yeah. oak to kill off those i have a couple of friends who go to the indigenous cultural burn trainings um, oh good i've been meaning to go i haven't made mm -hmm. it to one yet but that's that's yeah. going to be a really interesting topic of, of what it what it actually is and the, the differences yeah, yeah. so fsc's yeah. having us do more things like that rather than right yeah we did everything yeah. under the law yeah because yeah. yeah there's not a lot of interaction yeah. there Side note, totally non sec well, kind of related. Uh, on our land, we have some some bay laurels, you know, and that used to that's a you know tree that the native peoples would used to use around here, um, and I guess it has a little bit of caffeine in it, hmm. and you can you can roast it like a caffeine like a coffee bean, and you can make like a little coffee drink out of it. So oh, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna try that pretty soon. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be darned. Yeah. Um, okay. Next principle. Um, unless there was anything else on. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, so principle four, it just it just says the title here. It's, it's community relations. What I'm going on. So what? How does that? Um, what have? What does that look like in the audit for you guys? Uh, community relations. Yeah. Um, so they do like the fact that we're a transparent company because mm -hmm. um, past timber companies mm -hmm. uh, yeah. weren't that way. This yeah. is our land. Get the hell off. Well, you know, I, I, if you don't mind me just interrupting right there, uh, the transparency seems to kind of be the it, it, it's. It's it's like the price for admission. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you want to be in the group where we actually know you're doing, where, where you are trusted by the public to be doing the right thing, we, we can't trust you if you're not, if, you know, and why are you not being transparent? you're so trustworthy you got something to hide yeah. <laughs> you know i mean i don't you that that you're not supposed to say people are guilty before they're you know they're innocent before proven guilty but yeah you know it still right. begs the question like sure. why not transparent so, right right so and i appreciate that too and i think it's sort of the it's, it's critical yeah. yeah yeah and uh i would encourage any viewers or listeners to Go to our, I'll do a pitch for our website. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Now's the <laughs> time. I, I'm doing it because it's it's along mm -hmm. this principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, MRC.com. If you can't come out to the forest or don't have the time, whatever, we have a lot of videos there with our yeah. terrestrial biologists, our aquatic biologists, our foresters. Nice. You nice. can see it firsthand there, and all nice. of our policies are there as well. Nice. Um, so, That's again, great. trying to be transparent. Yeah. Um, 
But I do recall that, uh, you know, we had an audit a number of years ago now. And uh, so we had talked about how, you know, we had these tours and um, for various groups, both friends and foes. And they mm -hmm. said, do you have any documentation to that effect? And we mm -hmm. said, well, no. And so they said, okay, well, every time now that mm -hmm. you have an interaction with the public, even mm -hmm. if it's a phone call, mm -hmm. we'd like you to keep a log of that. that. Uh. So we've got this Excel spreadsheet yeah. for, for the last several years now that's rather large because right. you can imagine every time you yeah. talk to your neighbor or you uh -huh. know, someone outside the company, mm -hmm. we put that down or any mm -hmm. tour and, and mm -hmm. pictures. And, and uh, uh, you know, we do have places where it's uh, people would rather us just close the gates and leave and we have actual people prote protesting out in the woods and right all that's documented yeah you know, yeah, yeah public participation yeah. i mean i read and uh something before we last talked i read uh somebody's post uh about some of their whatever their their beefs were and mm -hmm. um i thought they were a little extreme you know so mm -hmm. it didn't really didn't sway me one way or the other but yeah but i can see that you know you're there's going to be people who just, you know, there's going to be people who just say like, never cut the forest Absolutely. Know, never, and never, and yeah. that's going to be their, their idea. Yeah. Um, personally, I mean, I think again, like we said before, it's, it's every one of our jobs to try to figure out how do we meet all of our basic needs and restore the health of the planet at the same time. And there's just, you know, wood is a, it's a, it's a wonderful renewable resource if, if it's managed properly. Correct. You know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to stop living in houses. <laughs> yeah. That's I right. mean, we're not going to start living in, you know, I, I don't know what, even if we did stop living in houses, we'd have to somehow figure out how to build shelters out of the local ecosystem, mm -hmm. which we'd probably go back to wood given the ecosystems that we're in. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also along those lines, I mentioned that FSC, when they, uh, well, when their auditors come out, um, mm -hmm. or the people we hire to audit us against those principles, um, if there has been some public participation that's been negative mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that they hear about, and they do hear about it, uh -huh. yeah. right? Uh, because they, uh, some of these people say FSC is greenwashing. Yeah, you know, we have to pay yeah. the auditors to come out here and give us a report. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's greenwashing. You know, yeah. but we have all these that they have to measure us against, mm -hmm. and so when they come out in a particular audit, if they've heard about uh, the public. Uh, being very concerned about something, mm -hmm. they'll say, "Okay, mm -hmm. we're going to go to this principle, and we're going to go to that spot, mm -hmm. um, and take a look at it." Right. And to, to even throw us more off guard, mm -hmm. we don't know when. until they get here Whoa. where we're going. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> we don't yeah. know which uh, yeah. any of these criteria, which so I think is you, a good thing. Yeah. So what do you say to that? I mean, I've read that too in the you know, various um, blogs all over the internet about the, the greenwashing claims around FSC. Like, is there, why? Like, what's the, I mean, I can see it in your, in, in, I, I, I'm wondering if they're talking about more of the international stuff, because I've, I've heard different stuff about some of the, you know, the paper sourcing and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak to that, or do you have any experience with that? Or? Um, well, uh, yeah, I think most of it is uh, global issues. There's uh -huh. very remote spots that are hard to audit, and, mm -hmm. you know, s certainly there's probably uh, landowners getting away with things. And, right. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. FSC is trying hard to stay on top of that and focusing right. on that. Right. But I've also heard here locally, you know, that if someone doesn't like us harvesting in a particular spot, you mm -hmm. know, they'll pull up the green washing flag, too, you know. And, yeah. Yeah, that's why right. I encourage people, you know, if, yeah. if you have concerns, well, come out. You know, I mean, my wife and I often have this conversation about, um, 
you know, it's so easy to just armchair judge anyone on the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, you just go like, oh, look at that. Look at what they're doing. Like, oh, that's horrible. And they shouldn't be doing that. And then, but um, when we, you sit down and you actually have the conversation and you figure out what the audit's like and you see the ins and outs and the values and the backstory, then, then you get a much more um, uh, accurate picture of what's going on and the, and the ins and outs of, of, of it all. So, um, so it, it does alleviate some of my concerns. Like I, I know there probably are some legitimate concerns with FSC, on an, especially on an international scale. Mm -hmm. But I think everything in this conversation that we've had so far about like the the, the difficulty of, of timber harvesting in California on a on just on a, a regulatory level, a state level, and then adding that FSC layer on top of it, mm -hmm. um, it just seems like at least locally we're you're not going to see much greenwashing. You're going to always do something that somebody doesn't want happen because you can't, you know, you, you just can't um, satisfy everybody, especially when you're harvesting redwood, you know. Right, <laughs> it's right. Not gonna, you're not going to, no one's ever going to approve of everything that you do. But uh, one of my um, mantras as, a, you know, a sustainable thought um, leader person is, um, I don't like the word sustainable, more regenerative, more, more the word that I like. But, um, that you know you can't throw the baby out with bath, bath water and, and you don't want to make perfection the enemy of progress sure. so we the, the best we can do you know we should be exploring like radical alternatives like can we can we build our homes out of aircrete that's made with material that draws carbon out of the atmosphere rather than puts it back into the atmosphere which is technology that's happening right now <laughs> and it's going to be a huge regulatory hoop to get it through California building codes which totally bumps me up Right. Like that's a bad thing, and we should be exploring that, and it should be easier to, to do these alternative building techniques. But while we're doing that, and we're still building, you know, we should be moving to the MRCs of the, the California and the world to use our wood products until we stop using wood products if we do, you know, mm -hmm. which, which I don't think we necessarily should either. But, um, uh, but yeah, so anyway, so you guys, in my mind, are the best alternative out there. Um, and that's a, one of the main reasons that I wanted to be here and talk to you. Um, so if we can go on to the next principle, or if you had a comment about any of that? No, nope. next principle. Okay. Um, so the principle five is benefits from the forest. And I don't quite know what that means. Do you know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, pretty broad term. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's uh, other forest products that we can derive from the forest and how do we protect the forest when we're doing things like oh. leasing out the land for cattle grazing yeah you know it's a benefit to the forest from you know the standpoint of um, reducing fuels mm -hmm. you know tall grasses mm -hmm. that we're seeing everywhere mm -hmm. these days mm -hmm. um, and it uh, you know makes a little bit of income for the landowner to mm -hmm. do other things like fisheries mm -hmm. restoration projects mm -hmm. do, uh, do you guys have do you lease Land for cattle grazing? Uh, in Humboldt County, we do. In Humboldt, yeah. Uh, I don't think in Mendocino County. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, F FSC wants to make sure, and actually we had right. a corrective action on this where some of the cows were getting down towards the creeks. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like yeah. you don't want that either. No. So, you know, it's activities like that that, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, are you allowing uh, mushroom picking on your lands, and how do you control that so you're not, you know. Do you? Yeah. We, we do have, uh, well, it's kind of up to the forest manager. So oh, okay. each company... Well, I'd like to have a private conversation about that <laughs> later because I love going mushroom hunting and I'd yeah. love to get out of my normal zone. <laughs> yeah, right, right. 
um, yeah, and horseback riding and, and mountain biking and you know those types of things. So, so in this stand that we're in now, there's there's a local group that does mountain bike trails, mm -hmm. um, and then you have horseback riding trails in other other areas, or uh, yeah, mainly along roads. And you know uh -huh. we'll do special events like uh, uh -huh. uh, you know I know one that we do is a large um, horseback ride, you know, 200 horses that oh, really? come up for an extended cool. weekend or something. Cool. So or even a Boy Scout uh, backpacking trips and mm, you know, mm -hmm. spend four days going through our forest and going oh, to the nice. beach or something nice. like that. Nice. Yeah. A beach? Yeah. What would that be? Uh, we, uh, Mendocino Redwood Company owns a beach on Mendocino the coast too. So, oh, wow. Um, sometimes cool. we'll let the Boy Scouts stay there. Wow. That's yeah. great. That's yeah. awesome. Um, you know, it, it, and this is kind of a, a sidebar. It's, it's, this is something that I've been, I've been wanting to, um, tell people about, um, and I'll probably make another video about it, but thinking of, of benefits of the forest, there's, um, so you're familiar with the palm oil plantation problems in the rainforest. So that would kind of be the opposite of what you're doing here. The, you burn, you know, cut down the forest, use all the timber, and then plant a monoculture of palm oil where there used to be a virgin forest. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's a nut that's called an alipe nut, which grows in the, you know, in the, the, that Indonesian region that they do a lot of that deforestation from. And it just drops on the ground. And it needs the whole ecosystem to sort of be a healthy tree and to drop. And that nut produces like the same quality or a better quality oil than the palm oil. Hmm. Um, and it, but it's like, an, it's a mixture of the indigenous uh, rights and uh, benefits from the forest and environmental stewardship all in um, just a harvesting style. So they're harvesting the nuts, and then you get that same kind of palm oil, which we use for our soaps and for our foods and all that kind of stuff, um, without destroying the environment. And there's one other example of that, which is really neat, which is the Brazil nut. So if you ever go to Trader Joe's and you get the big bag of Brazil nuts, mm -hmm. those Brazil nuts are all harvested by indigenous co-ops. And those indigenous co-ops, the Brazil nut, is it's illegal to cut down a Brazil, tree, a Brazil nut tree in Brazil. Um, but to kind of get around that, what people will do is just deforest the whole area and leave a Brazil nut tree. Um, but then it's just going to die. But when you actually buy the Brazil nuts, the Brazil nut needs the whole ecosystem because there's a little bug that, that pollinates the flower okay. that lives in that whole ecosystem. And so the indigenous people go, they harvest it, they bring it to the centralized location, and then, you know, they get shipped off to us. So it's an example of, you know, the similar kind of thing where you're buying an FSC certified piece of wood... If you just buy uh, an Alipe nut butter or a Brazil nut, you're doing effectively the same thing. You're yeah. creating a natural incentive for the reforestation of the habitat and without all the regulations and stuff too, I might add, right. um, which is a whole other conversation. But it'd be interesting too for, for me from a, sort of an alternative economics perspective, that's another interest of mine of, you know, like are there, are there viable um, markets for for bay nuts, you know, could we create, could there be bay nut harvesting or mm -hmm. something like that? I don't know how that would fit into anything you guys did, but um, yeah, just a total non sequitur in a way, but interesting and related, at least sure. in my mind. Yeah. Um, so the principle six, and these are just the titles, so you'll have to tell me what they mean. It just says environmental values and impacts. Um, do you know what that means in their lexicon? <coughs> uh, yeah, I think what... Um, I think what comes under that, um, they certainly have a policy that uh, we cannot convert the land to other uses. Right. And 
and there's a couple subcategories into that. So, um, you know, if we wanted to put in a vineyard, you know, in this forest, we couldn't mm -hmm. clear a hundred acres right. and put in a vineyard. Right. Um, also, what we could not do is, uh, if we had a Douglas fir forest, mm -hmm. and we said, you know what, redwood's worth more than a Douglas fir. Uh -huh. You know, we're going to cut as many Douglas fir out of this. You know, still using our thinning regime, but eventually we're going right. to keep planting redwood in what there. If, what if it was, you know, like a hundred years ago it was redwood and it had turned into Doug fir? Mm -hmm. Would you be able to convert it back to redwood? Or Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 We've done that, uh, especially in Mendocino County. Mm -hmm. there, you can look at a bunch of the grasslands there, and you can see the old growth redwood stumps that have poison mm -hmm. oak growing over them now yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we found that uh, if we plant redwoods in those grass, a lot of times you uh -huh. plant a redwood in a grassland, and it's uh -huh. the wrong soil type. There's lots yeah. of competition from the grass. Yeah. Um, but we've been able to reestablish redwood in oh, those cool. fields where you're, you cool. know, yep, there was a redwood forest here. And, nice. and, and the county kind of has a history of um, converting some of those for sheep and right. other grazing. Yeah. So, right, right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and certainly, uh, you know, the environmental protections on any activity that we do on the land, you know, it kind of goes back a little bit to uh, abiding by the rules mm -hmm. uh, of the state. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, you had, maybe it's a good time to talk about um, some of the um, things that your company does for the, you know, the, the, the creek habitats and then mm. the um, terrestrial habitats, because those would, seems to me, would, would fall into yes. environmental and values, environmental values and impacts. Yeah, because those aren't, uh, I mean, we still have follow rules when we do that, but it's mm -hmm. not so much involved in the... Uh, harvesting of trees and the management of the forest. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, when the uh, family first bought the property, uh, we had some pretty degraded streams from mm -hmm. uh, the past landowners. So they mm -hmm. had a different type of logging method. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the cheapest method possible. Right. And that, that was using tractors. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, on steep ground, you don't want to pull a log uphill because uh, it's hard. Right. And slower and more expensive, so they'd build roads down by the creeks and skid all the logs right. down to the streamside the... road. Yeah. And talk about erosion into streams, yeah. you know, you've yeah. got uh, a lot of bare dirt down there. So, yeah. do you uh, guys have anything on the Eel River? Yes. You do, yeah. Yep. Have you seen the documentary about the history of the Eel River? Um, do you, do you know who put it together? I can't remember, but it goes through, it shows images of exactly what you're talking about, where yeah. they would just like drag them down through the streams. It's yeah. very compelling and shows just how just to completely destroyed the upstream habitats for all yeah. the salmons. And then they talked about the salmon population crashing and, yeah. you know. It wasn't um, Shane Anderson, was it? I, 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 we'll have to come back to this yeah, point because okay. right. I, I, I would, it was, it was, it was really good. I, I really enjoyed the documentary. Yeah. 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 Well, Watch it again. I might be in it if it's the same. Oh, really? One. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I worked with Shane Anderson on yeah. one that's just yeah. like this. That's probably what it is. <clears throat> okay. It probably is. It's like a half hour long or yeah. something like that. Yeah. 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 No, that was a great documentary. So I'm talking exactly about what you're talking about. And I'll, I'll probably yeah. link it up for people so they can watch that too. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, the family said, uh, oh, oh, and then on top of that, um, the previous owner said, oh, anytime we cross a creek, we don't want to pay for a big, expensive culvert that right. you know, could make sure it could withstand storms. We'll put on these smaller ones. Right. And, 
So we had a lot of culverts that were washed out. Washed out, yeah. And, uh, I actually have one of those on my property right now. <laughs> yeah, they completely did it wrong, and so I have two. Yeah. I have two culverts that are completely washed out, and just massive erosion. Yeah, like yeah. we've lost uh, four feet of our creek. Yeah, yeah. So times that by several uh, hundred on our property. Yeah. and it's yeah. exactly what you're saying. It's the roads that were built wrong, and the culverts were sized wrong. And that's right. Yeah, yeah. So in today's uh, age, in is, can I ask a, a very selfish question? Sure. Is there grants to redo those roads and get the right size culverts? And uh, yes. So um, I'll keep going along the conversation that we're having here. So Sorry. no, that's okay. Because I was going to go in a different yeah, direction. Yeah. But uh, so these roads um, were in bad spots, mm -hmm. tiny culverts, bleeding sediment into the creeks. Mm -hmm. And the Department of Fish and Wildlife has a program called the For, um, Fish Re uh, Restoration Grant Program. Fisheries Restoration Grant Program. Yeah, that's it. And so what uh, <coughs> they do is they accept grant applications. They usually re require some kind of match. Of course, the bigger the match, the better chance you'll get funded. So uh, the family that owns our forest said, let's get heavily involved in that. Mm -hmm. And so we've spent literally millions of dollars on just the matching funds for those grants. Right. And have been awarded a lot of money mm -hmm. uh, to um, take out these roads and um, restore the roads, reshape them into mm -hmm. hillsides, replant right. them. Right. Pull out the culverts, restore the stream channels. Nice. Um, and under a timber harvest plan, we would have to do that all on our own. So if we're going into an area um, under those forest practice rules, it says you have to have culverts that are sized for right. a hundred year storm. Right. Um, and also you can't have roads that are bleeding into creeks. So we would yeah. have to figure out another way of doing things. Right. Um, in other words, how do we access that portion of our property? And that's another story about how we've reconstructed our road system. But anyways, um, Let's say we're, and this is a lot of Mendocino Redwood Company land, it's young trees. Um, we're not going to be in there for 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. And the Department of Fish and Wildlife said, we don't want that road just sitting there bleeding. Let's have mm -hmm. this grant program get it done now. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> we've done countless miles where we've de decommissioned these roads. Mm -hmm. um, and while we're at it, we're next to the creeks. A lot of times what we've done is put large logs back into the creeks again. Oh, great. You probably heard that Department of Fish and Wildlife in their infinite wisdom in the 60s thought, pull them out. Yeah, they thought those were bad yeah. and pulled them all out yeah. and pools went away. And uh, so we've been kind of strategic in whenever we have a commercial logging operation, if mm -hmm. we have some logs that aren't fit for the sawmill, uh -huh. we don't just toss them out in the woods. Well, wow. we do some of them because you do want some of that. Yeah, that's a terrestrial habitat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we say we create some log decks for the next grant program for the streams, put those back in again. Log decks. Log decks, stacks of logs. Stacks of logs, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. yeah, so we'll have 50 logs in the spot that we know that in they're this watershed, over there. they're gonna go over there. Cool, So that's great. Um, we've done that in, uh, I mean, literally thousands of logs and you, know, you come back a couple of years later, if you've had some good winters and you see fish under those logs. And wow, that, apparent. that is cool. Have you been in the upper creeks um, since all the big rains that we had this last year? Um, I haven't been in a lot of, uh, no, I haven't been mm -hmm. hardly in any of them actually. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm just wondering if, you know, since salmon, ha salmon season was completely shut down this year, I'm yep. just wondering if, if we're seeing any bounce back in any of your lands and any of the, the salmon populations yeah. or anything like that. Well, I can tell you where uh, we've done 
I can think of one watershed in particular, 50,000 mm -hmm. acres, where we did mm -hmm. five grant projects, um, decommissioning roads. Mm -hmm. And every winter, that um, particular watershed would flow like chocolate milk. And mm. um, two years after doing those five projects, it was like a bluish green. Nice. And the Department That's of amazing. Fish and Wildlife even said they were amazed by it. Right. <laughs> and yeah. uh, um, also under some of those grant projects, uh, we had just on Mendocino Redwood Company lands, we had 26 culverts that were put in by previous owners that were barriers to fish. Yeah. Outlets were five feet off the stream channel, right. stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we pulled all those out now. We put bridges in, wow. either under timber harvest plans because it was a road that we we're going to use, so mm -hmm. that was going to be on our dime, or under grant projects. And um, seeing immediate, yeah, that freed up like 32 miles of fish habitat. What, what is that? Is it on a main river or? A um, some, no, well, I'd say most of them are um, on tributaries to main rivers. And which rivers? Uh, so the Albion River. The Albion River. Yeah, that uh -huh. was one. Yeah. You know, a lot of those fish, when the, uh, they're coming up and the storms are really flushing out, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of water, mm -hmm. um, they're looking for some kind of side channel to go in. To oh, escape. I see. So, Interesting. Yeah. And if those have a culvert right there, it's like, yeah, shit, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. beat up, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, so I, I gave you an example watershed where we've done mm -hmm. that. You've taken out a culvert, putting in a bridge. Um, we have a road uh, on Mendocino Redwood Company lands that has many hundreds, maybe even over a thousand culverts. That uh, it's a private logging road that we own that goes from Ukiah over to Navarro. Wow! And 33 miles long. Wow! And a lot of those culverts are rusting out, mm -hmm. falling apart. Yeah. Um, uh, some of those were fish barriers um, on the main part of the river. Mm -hmm. um, they. During is it the Navarro River to uh, into, or? It goes to the Navarro. It kind of goes up and over watersheds. Mm -hmm. um, Ackerman Creek is the one that flows into Ukiah. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes up Ackerman Creek there. Mm -hmm. um, the first bridge you hit there had um, uh, two small culverts put in to cross the, that creek. And <clears throat> it was okay in the summertime, I'm told. But in the winter, the culverts were 100% full of water, mm -hmm. so it was a velocity barrier for fish to get mm -hmm. up there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's a bridge now, and mm -hmm. and so we've done a just a, you know, I think our our crew's done a yeoman's job of putting those together, either through grant projects or, like I said, if it's a road that we need for a commercial operation, then it's then we replace it ourselves. Cool. Yeah. Good Great. stuff. Uh, so environmental impacts, values, um, what about uh, your what you're doing for the, the terrestrial habitat? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when we, in, uh, when we bought Mendocino Redwood Company lands, uh, we knew that a lot of that had been converted from conifer forest to hardwood forest. Hmm. And I'll tell you, it was, it was converted from conifer to hardwood on purpose or just by accident? Um, to cut costs, and I'll tell you why. Oh, okay. So, uh, a, a, uh, well, let's back up. An old growth redwood forest mm -hmm. has a, a tanno component, and we see it all around mm -hmm. us here too. And it usually stays in the understory. It's mm -hmm. shaded out. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and if you were to either clear cut that uh, redwood forest or come in and take half the trees, mm -hmm. that tanno tree is going to go, oh, I got a little less competition. Mm -hmm. I got a little more sunlight. Mm -hmm. Come back 25 years later, mm -hmm. um, you cut down the rest of the old growth trees. Mm -hmm. Um, but you got some second growth coming up now. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, they get a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. Then you come in and harvest some of the second growth trees. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon what used to be 100% conifer canopy is now 60, 70, 80% tan oak. Mm. And you're looking at redwood stumps that tried to re-sprout but oh. got shaded out and the mm -hmm. stump sprouts are dead. Right. And when so I came... So kind of like shooting yourself in the foot as a lumber company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that takes money to get rid of the tan oak trees. Right. And yeah. if you're a corporation thinking about... Yeah, you're just short-term profit. Yeah, yeah. It's like... You know we're not going to spend money yeah. on that so yeah we literally had um you know, something like 70 percent of the property was uh, heavy to tan oak and uh, so we were going to have to somehow deal with that mm -hmm. and and restore it back to the proper conifer mm -hmm. hardwood balance mm -hmm. and so that was one of our challenges was right off the bat was mm -hmm. you know god what was the the natural conifer hardwood balance right and, so on Mendocino Redwood Company, we had a few pockets of old growth that mm -hmm. you know couldn't get to for whatever reason, couldn't mm -hmm. too steep to build a road. So we went mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. and uh, found out that about 15% of the trees were tan oak in the understory. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, well, when we go to restore these lands back to conifer, let's pick the biggest and the best tan oak that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, we'll keep those as part of the 15, per, uh, mm -hmm. 15 trees per acre. Um, and we'll uh, cut down, you know, those tan oak. We'll get, <clears throat> we'll do a ton of replanting. We've spent millions and millions of dollars in replanting. And, uh, and that was a mix of redwood and dug fir? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. We would look at, at the site. And again, going back mm -hmm. to the FSC requirement that we can't convert one forest to another. Right, you know, bringing it back to the original forest. Bringing yeah. it back to the original I forest. Uh -huh. So, um, and, you know, if it's hard to tell, you know, Maybe there was a mix. Maybe if we see redwood stumps, we know there was some redwood yeah, in there, right? At least, right. right? So, yeah. um, so you know, a lot of places we did a mix if we could see that there was, you know, some redwood. Mm -hmm. If we're on a south-facing ridge top and you know there's nothing but Douglas fir, um, even if we wanted to plant redwood there, Mother Nature would probably slap us upside the head and yeah. kill all the seedlings yeah, right. we put in there. So. Um, yeah, it's been a mix, and I, I think if you look on our website, we have fact sheets on um, how many trees we planted, mm -hmm. how many roads we've treated for erosion along mm -hmm. the lines of what we mm -hmm. talked about. Um, and I think at Mendocino Redwood Company, we're up to 11.2 million trees per acre, 11.2 million trees on the property since 98 when we bought the property. Mm -hmm. What and does it, that mean? I, doesn't, I don't understand what yeah. that means. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, cross... Um, tens of thousands of acres uh it's a tree every 13 feet or so mm -hmm. across 70,000 acres and that's you're talking about before we were talking about thinning are you talking about thinning or growing or changing or yeah yeah okay so good point so our whole goal is to have a forest where like what we're sitting in where we mm -hmm. have a, a mix of sizes so when we harvest some trees mm -hmm. like what we did here this is when you did that spin around, we logged in here a year mm -hmm. ago. <clears throat> mm -hmm. All we did was thin out some of the trees. Uh -huh. um, so our whole goal is to have a forest that looks like this. Mm -hmm. But in those stands that got converted to tan oak, it's it's almost like you got to start from square one. Right. You know, right. There's no conifer left in yeah. there. Yeah. So. And what do you guys do with the tan oaks? Uh, so there's. <laughs> Not much you can do, so there's really? not a market for them. So we tried. So uh -huh. we said, we got all this tan oak, we ought to be able to do something with right. it. And uh, Louisiana Pacific had a small sawmill in Willits. Uh -huh. And so we said, let's put some money into that and see if we can make hardwood flooring. Uh 
Oh, and uh, didn't work. No, <laughs> nobody uses tan oak to make floors. No, no. <laughs> uh, it made. Just, it, it's very difficult to yeah. to make. Number one, because a tan oak tree doesn't grow nice and straight no, like a redwood yeah, tree, yeah. and it's got a ton of limbs. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember as a dirt forester at the time, we got these specifications from the sawmill. It said only mark tan oak trees that have these 25 characteristics. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the middle None of a of thousand <laughs> acres of tan oak, and I'm looking at spending 10 minutes on every single tan oak tree, and I'm like, no, I'm I need like 10,000 guys to yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> to do this. It's yeah. crazy. But the logs that we did send in, mm -hmm. um, even with those qualifications, you know, about a 25% of them, I was told, just mm -hmm. went to firewood. And you don't make any money on firewood. Um, and then the other 75%, roughly, uh, went into flooring mm -hmm. and uh, made some beautiful flooring. Um, had some different grades with different looks. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I'm told, it's very hard to market. The South has a super strong hold on the hardwood market. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, we just couldn't sell any of it. I see. No yeah. one so it was a marketing it. issue. Yeah, I see. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's always when you're trying to put in a, introduce a new product into an established market. It's a, it's a challenging thing to do. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. Um, yeah. So now, you know, we uh, cut them down. One of the more controversial things we do, um, mm -hmm. and we've been trying, we're working on towards getting away from this, and this gets back to FSC. Um, tan oak trees, if you just cut them down, mm -hmm. Um, and plant a redwood tree next to it. Mm -hmm. um, the tan oak re-sprouts like a redwood tree. Yeah. And it, because its root system is already established, it'll mm -hmm. cre create this big bush in a matter yes. of no time. Yes. Yeah. It'll shade out that redwood seedling because yeah. it's right. not going to grow up for a couple of years at mm -hmm. least because it's got to get its roots established. Mm -hmm. And so that will be a failure. Right. And we've seen that left and right. Right. Um, so LP, where they did do a little bit of, you know, tan oak treatment, used this chemical that took uh, like two and a half gallons per acre or something like that to mm -hmm. treat the number of tan oak trees that were on there. Mm -hmm. And we're like, mm -hmm. that seems like a lot of chemical per acre mm -hmm. to treat tan oak. <clears throat> so let's see what alternatives to uh, chemicals are out there. And no mm -hmm. one really knew. We were totally experimenting. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so we tried cutting down uh, tan oak trees, and someone thought, let's put eucalyptus oil on the stump. Because, Interesting. You know, yeah. it has that allelopathic effect under mm -hmm. uh, eucalyptus forest to kill mm -hmm. other bushes. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. Of course, that yeah. tan oak tree, it didn't matter. It sprouted just, yeah. just as easily. Yeah. <laughs> um, we tried girdling the tree. and. Mm -hmm. That just seemed to piss it off. <laughs> sent off these weird branches, and uh, that didn't yeah. work. Um, someone thought neem tree oil on the stump would mm -hmm. work. And it's expensive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> expensive for yeah. one. Number two didn't work. Yeah, um, we tried cutting them down, and because we'd seen some re, uh, reproduction regeneration from mm -hmm. uh, tan oak trees that have fallen over, mm -hmm. and the stump had been infected with turkey tail mushrooms. Yeah, right. And the sprouts came up and died. Mm -hmm. We're like, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. So we cut down some rows of tan oak trees mm -hmm. and and put some uh, turkey tail in spores yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the stumps. Mm -hmm. um, that didn't work. Mm. Uh, so then we uh, found a chemical. Um, we, we Oh, we also tried stripping the bark from like five mm -hmm. feet down all the way mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. um, and the small trees after like 10 years, small being two to four inches, mm -hmm. after 10 years started looking half dead. 
Mm -hmm. um, the bigger trees, some yellow leaves after 15 years, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's super labor intensive to strip bark off mm -hmm. thousands of yeah. tan oak trees, right? Yeah, yeah. For it not to be effective. So we talked with FSC and said, hey, we found a chemical at least that um, it's not spraying. We cut into the bark, put a drop in every three inches, and it goes down into the root system, kills the tree, we plant a redwood tree next to it, <clears throat> falls over in five years, degrades back into the ground, mm -hmm. the redwood forest comes back. Mm -hmm. And I can take you to spots where we did that 15 years ago, mm -hmm. and we have awesome redwood trees coming up nice. now. Uh, but there's people that very much are like chemicals oh. in the forest. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we've done done a lot of studies looking at you know downstream after major storm events because mm -hmm. that's when you think you'd see a yeah, flush yeah, yeah. and and we're not seeing an impact that that way. But um, FSC, you know, they said uh, you know chemicals are okay under FSC, but you have to be moving towards yeah. going away from them. Yeah. So we're still exploring you know some. Uh, uh, other options, mm -hmm. you know, uh, other things like turkey tail mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually <laughs> would recommend. If, I'm not, I'm no expert. I am quite a mushroom geek, though. But mm -hmm. uh, and you know, they're all different. Okay. You know, and so if you get the right, a tan, an oak is a is a prime species for a mushroom. Um, you know, I would actually experiment with reishi and lion's mane, which are two highly marketable and, and sellable products. <laughs> um, and reishi is highly aggressive, um, <laughs> and it compete will will go compete with a turkey tail. And it also could be that you didn't inoculate correctly, because okay. you've got to actually get the inoculation right, and then you need to treat the the stump. So like you need to put, um, you know, like a wax over the stump so that it actually has a chance to, to stay moist and penetrate okay. um, and not the water evaporate or have other funguses, you know, anyways, I actually, Send me information I, I will, I actually yeah. successfully killed a tan oak in my front yard, um, kind of doing that, you know, wow. not, not exactly. I mean, it was, but it was. But it's interesting, you know, and I do have those different experiments going in my yard right now with mm -hmm. the with the lion's mane and the and turkey tails and the reishi mm -hmm. mushrooms, and I and I just know from my studies in mushrooms that reishis tend to be one of the most aggressive ones, and they're highly prized as a medicinal too. Huh. You can have people harvest them and then, you know, you send them off someplace and they'll they'll grind them up in a powder and sell them for top dollar on the medicinal market. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we thought maybe with the turkey tails. Well, turkey tails aren't so in such high demand. Okay. Are and especially the lion's mane. I don't know if lion's mane would, would be aggressive enough, but well, send me info on that. I'd be all will, ears yeah. on that. Yeah, uh, if we could solve that problem. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> that would be really cool. Yeah, um, so management planning. I think we've already talked. Principle seven is management planning. I think we've already talked a, a bit about that. Do you have more to say about that? Um, yeah, you, you know, that was uh, they wanted uh, they being the certifiers uh, mm -hmm. when the FSC certifiers, yeah, yeah, and uh, we've been using for years the scientific certification system mm -hmm. outfit. And uh, when I mentioned that when we first got or first applied to uh, be audited uh, mm -hmm. with Mendocino Redwood in '98, um, they said you've got some things to work on and one of those was on the management plan oh i see so just being very ex explicit on what you're doing where your goals are um, long term what kind of forest structure do you want to have part of the inventory is a tool that um, has a straw and it's got a screw head on the end mm -hmm. and it's got a handle you can put in and basically screw into the tree 
and a core will be formed inside that tube mm -hmm. and it has an extractor and you pull mm -hmm. that out yeah, and yeah. you can see, okay, this tree's grown this fast over mm -hmm. the last X number of years. <clears throat> and it's a good way of getting an age on the tree too without mm -hmm. cutting mm -hmm. it down, which mm -hmm. would be a bad way to get an age. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, all that's rolled up. So we know how fa fast the forest is growing how many trees of what species we have on there. Mm -hmm. And we can guide like, okay, we're growing this much board feet. A board foot is one foot by one foot mm -hmm. um, by an inch thick. Mm -hmm. It's just a common measurement mm -hmm. for a 30 inch diameter tree has roughly a thousand board feet mm -hmm. in it. So mm -hmm. for us to be able to show that we're harvesting less than what we're growing, it's kind of on a board foot basis. I see. So that inventory says, you know, we have Two billion board feet across the whole forest. It's growing, you know, two hundred thousand. Uh, I'm just throwing numbers. Yeah, out. yeah, you're just guessing. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, just these aren't examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's growing two hundred thousand board feet uh, per year. So we're going to harvest one hundred and fifty board feet. So we're growing an additional fifty right. uh, board feet every year. So right. it's uh, that's in the management plan. Um, and is that um, basically the the strategy that you guys take is is we're gonna you know maybe do three quarters of the growth or so that it's still doing 125 percent growth every year is that sort of a, a, a ballpark uh oh of what we're actually doing yeah 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 um yeah, I'd say that is pretty close to what we're doing. Uh -huh. you know, we're, we're, we're so you're kind of growing the the mass, the carbon sink, the biomass yep. of the forest by like 25%. Correct. Um, between every harvest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the beauty of the harvest is um, not only are we thinning out the forest for all the fire stuff we talked about, but that log, of course, goes to our sawmill. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lumber that's produced from that is sequestering all that yeah. carbon over yeah. time too. It's right? it's fascinating to me how few people think about that. Yeah. You know, and, and in uh in the remodeling business that I've been in it for years, you know, the longer I can make that piece of wood last That's on right. that building, the longer it stays sequestered in the system, you know. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, and, and also... Uh, That's such a fascinating thing that just, it's like, if you think about that, if, if everybody's doing 125% between each harvest, mm -hmm. the mass in the forest is getting bigger. Well, obviously we have to have the fire manage management happening right. too. The mass is getting bigger. And then all if we're taking all that lumber and we're trying to build it in a way that's not like cheap remodels, and that's a whole other topic about people swapping out the design elements of their building all the time, but creating those instructional elements that are, you know, gonna last over the long term. Yeah. You know, or treating your redwood deck, you know, putting more air gaps in there so that that redwood's not gonna rot out as quick or sure. using a metal instead of a wood-to-wood -wood contact. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like, it, there you go. There's a whole carbon sequestration plan that is going to really have a huge impact in the long run once you start scaling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I got sidetracked. I don't know if I took you off your point there. but No, that's, <laughs> well, I, I was also going to say the management plan has certain things like, uh, you know, how we're going to be managed. It, it, we've got the baseline of the forest practice rules. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can go above and beyond those, you know, so like your streamside buffers, you know, mm -hmm. I remember one of our first meetings we had when we formed a company was, what are we going to do next to the streams? You know, we, we know we have to have certain canopy levels, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and we can only take so many trees. And, uh, this one fisheries biologist said, let's not cut any of them. And, uh, our chairman at the time, um, who works for the family said, well, 
that's 27,000 acres of the property we're just going to do nothing on. Huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was like, well, maybe, you know, let's not go that far. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, so we do do the minimum of the forest practice rules, but it's rather interesting that. What does that mean? The minimum of the forest practice Oh, rules. okay. Yeah. Thank you for saying yeah. that whenever I say something that's. Yeah. Um, so the forest practice rules, if we're talking about the streamside buffers. Uh -huh. Um, is this a California thing? This is a California thing. Okay. Yeah, uh -huh. California forest practice rules uh -huh. uh, required you to have, depending on the stream type. So mm -hmm. we have fish bearing streams. We have mm -hmm. um, streams that flow year round, but don't have fish. Mm -hmm. uh, we have streams that flow generally just after storms and then dry up. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, those are pretty much the main three. Mm -hmm. So fish bearing streams, obviously the most restrictive. Mm -hmm. And so we have like various like the zone right next to the creek is don't cut anything uh-huh the next zone out is you know retain you know, how big is that zone uh that's 30 feet wide 30 feet uh -huh. yeah but the whole zone's about 150 feet wide. 150 wow yeah. that's yeah. a big zone so yeah. that's when you're saying all those acres have come out yeah i was thinking yeah. like a much smaller zone around the creek no yeah. so you know both sides of the creek it's you know 300 feet it's oh it's 300 feet not yeah. even oh i yeah. see okay uh, wow length, length of a football wow field. yeah yeah wow so um uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, very so first 30 feet, you don't do anything on a fish bearing stream, on a fish bearing stream. Yeah. See. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you have, a the next band out, I think is uh, like 80% canopy. And then the, the outer band is 50% canopy. And that is state rule. That's state rule. Uh -huh. So and Oregon doesn't have anything like that. Or do you know, or? uh, they, they have like a, a very minimal, inner zone that uh, I'd have to look at again, but I mm -hmm. think it's 30 or 50 And Washington feet. is just minimal too? Uh, I haven't checked in with their rules. And yeah. I know they have a board of forestry that changes everything too, uh, so uh, um, yeah, I haven't checked yeah. in in some time. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the streams that only, or the streams that have year-round flow, mm -hmm. uh, they have about a 100-foot buffer. And then the ones that uh, only flow, seasonal. yeah, the seasonal ones are about 50 feet. So, 50 feet. and there's all restrictions in that buffer about don't bring mm -hmm. equipment in there. And mm. if you are going to cut a tree, don't fall it parallel to the creek. You know, it has to be perpendicular away from the creek. So you have less damage to the, mm, uh -huh, uh -huh. <coughs> the right. zone. And right. so we're discussing as a company in our management plan, mm -hmm. should we be doing more of that? Um, but what we found because of all the trees that are required to be in there, when we see some of these wildfire events, they're burning in the hottest. In, in the spots. creeks. In the creeks. Ah. I know. So <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe we're protecting them to death a little bit too much. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Right. And, you know, some creeks, super moist, you know, high Sierras, near meadows, right. wet meadows, all that. They don't burn hardly at all. So uh -huh. I, you can't say they all burn that way. Yeah. But I've, I've seen it firsthand where, um, you know, trees yeah. are trees are burnt through the base mm -hmm. in the redwoods mm -hmm. in, in the creeks that um, CZU complex fire in Santa Cruz mountains that uh -huh. was in 2020. Right. Some of the creeks down there I saw burn super duper hot. Yeah. So hmm. in front of the Board of Forestry right now, um, they're having these discussions. Hey, should we be uh -huh. allowing some fuel reduction? Right. To a certain extent, we don't want to warm up the water in the streams and impact yeah. the fish. Right, right, right. We <laughs> we're really warming so, them up. So, I mean, there must have been, I mean, I don't know, <clears throat> it, it must have somehow naturally mitigated during the natural burns. Yeah, the natural burns certainly would have gone through there. Yeah. So you. So then that's the game then, is to try to mimic a natural burn. Yeah. 
and to try to create that, what it was before we stopped the burns. <coughs> yeah, I mean, and that's... so the, it doesn't sound like the current rules actually take that into consideration too much. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I see, yeah. And do we, the, the, the discussions are being had at these Board of Forestry meetings, do we want burned wilpizzas, or should we just mimic that by allowing some limited mechanical operations mm -hmm. to take yeah. that fuel out yeah. and not yeah, burn, yeah. you know, yeah. so it's all... All the agencies mm. are at the table. Difficult. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a difficult one. Yeah. Um, anything more on management? Planning, uh, I, I mean? The planning. That was the important point. Oh, you know, also in there in the planning end of that, so part of that management plan is what we call landscape plan. And to make that into layman's terms, it's basically where are we going next year to thin out some trees, where we're we going the next year, where are we going 50 years from mm -hmm. now, and everywhere mm -hmm. in between. Right. So I told you about those groupings of trees, uh, the uh, uh, where we have uh, different groups of trees that are mapped out as very similar. You mm -hmm. know, the, mm -hmm. the Tan right. Oak Douglas fir. Right. <coughs> so, and also associated with those are ages, and they also have a harvest history mm -hmm. that's put mm -hmm. on that that particular stand of trees. Mm -hmm. So again, computer modeling because we have tens of thousands of you know 40 50 acre mm -hmm. blocks of trees taking into account all that data it's harvest history it's age um, the species and planning that out over a 50-year horizon and having that computer model come back and say okay if you want to harvest this 75 percent of what you're growing here are mm -hmm. the stands that are ready to go now mm -hmm. now it's a computer model you right. know so we send that out to our foresters and we go, mm -hmm. hey, fact check this for uh -huh, us. Right. And so we do, we don't go out to every single stand, but mm -hmm. a lot of our foresters have worked for us for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that map came to me a number of times and mm -hmm. I'd been to a lot of those. And You're so like, I didn't. Meh. Yeah, and <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. And other times I'm like, yeah, that, that works. And, uh, right. and other times it's like, hey, let's go out in the woods for a couple of days and just mm -hmm. actually look at some of this on right. the ground. So. Right. That's all in the planning mm -hmm. aspect of it too. Cool. So, because cool. <coughs> you know, if you're going to run a successful business, mm -hmm. you don't want to be on just those acres that are low volume, expensive logging, mm -hmm. hardly any redwood, so because mm -hmm. you can make more on the redwood right. boards. You want right. a mix of all that to be sustainable, right? Right. So right. Right. that's all yeah. in the plan. You know, it's interesting too because sustainable is, uh, you know, it's 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 such a weird word. It just means we can sustain for to, for the future. Right. And um, in, in regenerative is like it's a buzzword that's coming and sort of replacing sustainable. Um, but it's it's also already being co-opted by a lot of large players and, and not really necessarily meaning anything. But but I think what what you're saying in, you know, this just that simple fact that you're harvesting about three quarters of what's regenerating. So you get 125 percent growth during each harvest like you're regenerating. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's just the biomass. And then if you add on to that, the habitat, I mean, the, the stream management, and then um, we, we haven't talked as much about that, um, but w what are you guys doing in terms of like um, terrestrial biodiversity and terrestrial habitat for mm. wildlife that, that lives within these ecosystems? Yeah, that's true. We only touched on kind of the restoration back yeah. to the conifer. Yeah. Um, so I would say one of the, the first one that comes to mind, um, because they're so magnificent is our mm -hmm. old growth policy. Mm -hmm. And um, so the owners again said, uh, our policy from the beginning is cut, uh, not to cut any old growth tree. Mm -hmm. Whether it's And would that be allowed in a California timber plan? Um, if you did it right or whatever? 
You know, if you did it, uh, it, it probably would be sued, but, um, you know, but you could try, you could try, there'd yeah. be a ton of surveys for it, uh -huh. you know, because uh -huh. there's like in this part of the world in Redwood country, mm -hmm. uh, we have an endangered uh, seabird that comes in, mm -hmm. uh, Heart, the, roosts. Yeah, it, well, it, it nests in, nests. Uh, uh -huh. it needs a big old growth branch uh -huh. with moss on it. Oh, interesting. To kind of make it. What's it called? It's called a marbled muralette. A marbled muralette. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it's been, <laughs> it's most of it's at its time at sea mm -hmm. and uh, flies 70 miles an hour into a redwood stand, swoops up on a lamb, and um, mm. it doesn't even make a nest. It just Whoa. sits there and puts an egg. Wow. And then kind of poops a ring around it to try and keep it in place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, one guy told me, he said, well, no wonder they're endangered. They don't even build a nest. Yeah. But uh, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the cutting of the old growth, of mm -hmm. course. Yeah. And um, so uh, you, you have to be highly trained in surveying for these because they fly at uh, dusk and they fly 70 miles an hour. And thank God they have a distinctive call. Uh -huh. But you have to come out here at, mm -hmm. uh, and I used to be a muralette surveyor. You have to be wow. out here at 4 a.m. and set up stations. Wow. and and listen to their calls and <clears throat> um are they and they only roost in the redwoods uh nest, and, i mean uh and douglas fir limbs they'll go as in, far as 50 50 miles inland but but like just just like california oregon washington alaska oh okay so yeah I see. Mm -hmm. even, yeah. yeah i've heard even in alaska they'll leave a nest on the ground oh interesting yeah yeah too much yeah. competition but the they're an endangered species yeah because of the cutting of the old growth uh -huh. so, right. so they've lost their nesting habitat and there used to be lots of it and now there's not very much now yeah. there's not very yeah, much right. yeah yeah we've got a fantastic stand on mendocino redwood company the ground's about this steep it mm -hmm. almost looks like half dome when you look at a topo map on it mm -hmm. but so it's never been cut but it's got a lot of mural lights there oh nice pretty cool spot cool um anyways so the old growth policy you know it's important not only for muralettes but you know, we had talked before we got uh, on camera here about the bat habitat associated oh, right. with, yeah. you know, the big fire caves. And you were that, talking about <laughs> this used to be a fire yep. cave, and then up inside of the redwood, there'd be a bunch of bats living inside of that old old growth redwood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you can't say that about every single one. Yeah, but, but some, some of them, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of times if I'm going to hike in a stand that has... You know, I know it's going to have trees like that. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm hiking in broad daylight, I'll bring mm -hmm. a flashlight just to see yeah. if I can see what's up there. And you've seen a bunch of bats. I've seen them. I've seen one or one or two. One or two. Yeah, not a bunch, but one or two bats or one or two groupings. One or two groupings. Um, I was thinking. So to wrap this up, land the plane, as one of my one of the guys I follow says. Um, so the viewer, uh, hopefully, has gotten a lot out of the listener viewer. Um, I know we, we've gone really in depth with, with your enforcement management practices. I feel really good about what you guys do as a company and I feel more um, uh, like I can trust that you guys are keeping the forest in its optimum health. Um, with, your, with the values driven of your company leadership, combining that with the FSC standard, um, I, I feel like you guys are like one of the top bars um, probably anywhere you know of, of sustainably managed forests <laughs> that still are producing lumber mm -hmm. you know um and 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I could. It's just an opportunity to toot your own horn. I don't know if there's mm. anything else you want to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think we are one of the more progressive forest management companies mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. California and the United States, and you know, probably in a lot of places. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you uh, and you alluded to it before, when we put. Well, first of all, we have the forest practice rules, and then we subject ourselves to the Forest Stewardship Council, and then mm -hmm. we have our own policies on top mm -hmm. of all that that are more stringent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's very difficult to come out here and, and do something that is unsustainable or destructive to yeah. the environment. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, it, it's the reason why I've been with the company for 24 years and mm -hmm. haven't left. It's, yeah. uh, you know, I know they're doing yeah, the right yeah, thing. Yeah. And when uh, I had a chance to come up here when previous owners were managing the land and mm -hmm. I was working on the other side of the fence, so mm -hmm. to say, and uh -huh. I was like, yeah. I'd, oh, I'm, really? I'm not going there. Wow. And I ended yeah. up going there anyways, just to, under a different ownership. Of yeah, course, but right, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's refreshing to have someone, uh, to see a company uh, finally treat the land right after yeah. so many decades of mismanagement. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not not just going to toot our horn. You know, like I said, there were California is run by family-owned forests now, and that's a mm -hmm. huge difference from mm -hmm. 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That uh, they have that long-term vision. They want to hand this down to their grandkids mm -hmm. and great-grandkids, and yeah. have a forest that's healthy yeah. by the time it gets there. And I mean, yeah. we have a lot of that now, but we have some work to do in a few spots, like what we talked about. Mm -hmm. So it's very long-term vision. They're investing money into it, and so that's the refreshing part of it. That uh, you know, I don't see myself going anywhere here. Yeah, I cool. think we retain a lot of uh, employees. And is there so anything that you want the the, <clears throat> the listener, the viewer to? Um you know, like you, you, you called out the MRC.com. Is that the mm -hmm. website? Um, and is there any other resources or things that you would want them to know about that you think are important for, you know, making sustainable wood choices or fire management or, or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just highlight a couple of things that we said through the whole conversation. And that is, you know, whether it's a SFI or FSC is just knowing the source of the wood. Um, uh -huh. You know, did that come from, uh, you know, a 100-acre plot of land where, you know, four generations have been running right. that forest and it's well-stocked right. and healthy yeah. and they've got yeah. wildlife everywhere. That'd be important so that, to know. So that, yeah. that, that's hard to figure out. So <laughs> then that's really just like looking at who is the, you know, the name of the company on the board. Right or on yeah, the board or whatever. Yeah, we're talking or, to the manager at the store or something well, like that. Well, they usually don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Believe that, me, that they get annoyed be. with me all the questions I ask. So you <laughs> usually got to do your own homework. Okay. I'm serious. Right. I'm, I'm well, joking. if there's a way of doing that, I think that's important. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've mentioned that uh, we encourage tours to the property. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> it, there's no substitute for coming out to the woods and seeing yeah. it firsthand. and. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been in meetings where people are like, oh, my God, they're going to do logging and people are jumping up and down. And I'm talking about these same policies. Right. Right. And they're, it's just going in one ear and out the other. And when yeah. I take a group out in the woods and they see, oh, you only mark that tree to be cut and only yeah. this one. And yeah. Well, yeah, we got a stream zone there and yeah. they get it mm -hmm. at that point. So yeah. um, if you, you know, have doubts, you know, come out and see our land. Um, yeah. And if it's not our land or someone else's, ask to go out in theirs too. Yeah, right. they, they may say no. I don't, not, yeah. I'm not sure everybody's as yeah. transparent yeah. as we are, but yeah. um, it's certainly better just to go out and, mm -hmm. and see it firsthand. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the the 
all the fire stuff we talked about too. Um, I just feel pretty strongly that uh, you know what we've done in the past is we thought was the right thing to do, mm -hmm. and uh, we got in this era, the '80s and '90s, of protecting the forest, and mm -hmm. uh, did very little to change the fire regime mm -hmm. nor managing the forest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've gotten to a point now where we're protecting him yeah. to death. So yeah. uh, yeah. gotta change our ways. I, I think um, one one thing that comes to um, uh, I don't know if, if if you don't mind me interjecting a little bit. Nope. Um, I I feel like there's this. This is back to this sort of meta level conversation. I feel like there's been this idea that um, the only the only good human for an ecosystem is the human that's outside of the ecosystem. You know, it's like just pull the people out and leave the people out of the system. And and I think that's kind of one of the, the fundamental sort of narrative cultural um, errors in our thinking is that we somehow think that we used to think that protecting nature, and I think many people still do, means leaving it alone, mm -hmm. means being separate from it, means creating national parks, you know. And I love national parks. Sure, but, sure. But... Um, but I think the, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I think the, the era that we're entering in is this era in which humans interact with our landscape in a, in a way that regenerates it and, and gets our needs met, you mm -hmm. know, at the same time. And that's um, what, what I see in terms of you guys, in terms of a shining example of a, of a lumber company that's, that's acting that way. And I think it's, we also need to make that just mental cultural shift that we actually all have to interact with our natural environment in a way that enhances life you know like you guys are doing increase the biomass increase the biodiversity um yeah those are just things that i hope we're going to be moving towards as a society and a in a human and a rate in a, a species yeah uh, <laughs> yeah and i i think what i would add to someone who said you know take all the humans out of the ecosystem yeah. uh we've really been uh, playing with the ecosystem for the last 125 years in some way, shape, or form, whether it's fire exclusion or, mm -hmm. um, you know, the 70s and 80s harvesting thousands of years, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Yeah. We've okay. Been As yeah, that's yeah. true. I was yeah. thinking more of like a negative. Oh, the negative. Yeah. 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 We've been negatively interacting with the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Can, can we just walk away from that? And I, I, right. th I think the answer to that is no. You yeah. know, I, you were talking and I'm like, God, I remember seeing that picture of Yosemite Valley when, you know, and it's not just in Yosemite Valley, mm -hmm. but uh, all the dead trees in the Sierras. Last uh -huh. count was like yeah. 135 yeah, million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a ton of them in Yosemite Valley that were yeah. dead. Yeah. And uh, because what, the fires had been suppressed for so yeah, many years. We yeah. did that. Yeah. Yeah, and you went. We also we'd... buried Hetch Hetchy Valley behind a dam, which was another equally beautiful Yosemite Valley-like yes. area. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Have you ever been there? I have not. No, okay. I no. have. It's, it, I mean, even with the lake, it's gorgeous. Yeah, can't sure. imagine I'm what sure, it was yeah. like then. Yeah, um, <clears throat> but uh, uh, yeah. So I mean, can we just walk away? I think you know what we're seeing in some of these wildfire events is yeah, that's going to be a huge cost if we do. Yeah. If yeah. we just say, well, we screwed up, we're going to, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, your car yeah. broke down, you're just going to walk away from it on the side yeah. of the highway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I think, um, I'm, I'm hoping to end this on a positive note. I don't know how this is going to come out or not, but, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing in the era of, you know, the climate 
um, destabilization is one of the ways I like to characterize it. You know, it's, it's been very stable throughout the evolution of, of human civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're entering a destabilized period. Um, so, you know, for many of us, it seems a bit hopeless. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I, I, I have to at least uh, hope that, you know, with companies like yours and, you know, trying to make the right choices that with enough of, you know, that there'll be a critical mass of, of awareness and, um, you know, people who have enough of the resources like, you know, the owners of MRC like that, that went in with the right vision mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I think, um, I guess here's the positive note that I, I, I want to um, interject into this like massive destructive arc that we've been on you know just extraction and you know just all the unintended consequences you know the the fire the problem of the of the the, the heavy fire load in the forest that was just you know a, a specific little regional problem that we had and then but dumping carbon and other stuff into the atmosphere that's you know sequestering heat on the whole planet that's like something that we've done globally um and I, I, I think, and I'd just be curious to see um, what you think about this, but I feel like that the, there's, there's an, so the, we can regenerate the forests and we have the, the earth kind of can create a finite capacity of, of goods for us to consume, right? And, and we have to make space for all the other living creatures and stuff if, if we choose to do so. But our, 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 our ability as human beings to, um, to creatively put those pieces together and to create creative solutions and to interact with our ecosystems in ways that is regenerative, that's pretty, that's totally infinite. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that's totally unlimited. You know, we have this, we have the energy from the sun, which is not darn near unlimited. And then we have our imaginations, which we can turn into policies and plans and exactly all the stuff that you guys are doing there. Like that's my grain of hope is that enough people get into the kind of practices that you guys are doing. And then we put that imaginative, creative values of restoring the land and can create a solution that will ripple out to a global scale. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I got to believe that, you know, and because and, I mean, and we'll either succeed or we won't, but hopefully um, just sharing the message is going to have an impact and more people will be like, okay, we can do what MRC is doing and try to make our forests better and, yeah, yeah. So that's a big goal. Yeah, it's a big picture. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. kind of the way I'm wired. I want to think about the big picture. Yeah, but. sure. <laughs> no, I, I get that. And um, yeah, forests, as you know, can be a big part of that, mm-hmm. you know, solution. And mm-hmm. so it does pain me to, you know, read articles. Oh, another X percent of the Amazon's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I think, what in the hell are they doing there? And mm-hmm. isn't there? There's as a globe, we should be going hell no. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I think as, uh, you know, the rest of the world, everybody has their own policies. I think obviously what we talked about here in California, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to have trees in the long run and mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have more trees, in, in, but in the right spaces mm-hmm. with the right configurations mm-hmm. to, you know, create wildfire resilient forests. And, and uh, you know, we've seen the style of management burn, uh, you know, before, and it stayed on the ground. And yeah. so it's been tested on our lands, too. But, uh, yeah, if we're thinking globally, yeah, I, I think we need to restore those areas that had forests. 
right you know and let's get yeah. those back uh yeah and uh yeah and and start looking are there other places yeah. where like california yeah. and the west of the united states where you know we put out all the fires yeah. and start thinking about getting back to that natural uh, fire regime and i think it's just so <clears throat> critical what you guys are saying about creating the stewarding the land and creating a bible business because that's the argument that you always run into. People are like, no, you can't steward the land and run a viable business. You have to extract. Right. <laughs> but it, it does work. And you guys are proving that it works. So that's super important for others mm -hmm. to know, other business leaders to know. You can do both, even in the most stringent regulatory environment in the planet or whatever. Right. You know, like here we are and you guys are making it work. As there's Nobody's like donating money to you. Yeah. You're like making it as a business, mm -hmm. you know. Right. So I right. think that's incredibly important. Yeah, good point. great service actually. Anything else you want to add? Uh, I think we covered a lot right there. That was good. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Mike. You. That was Appreciate great. It. Love it. If you've made it this far in the video, in the podcast or the video, um, you're awesome. Uh, I am truly, truly appreciative of who you are and that you care enough about the planet to put that much energy and time into it. Um, please leave a comment at the YouTube channel. Um, I, I don't necessarily see the comments on the podcast side of it, but leave a comment on the YouTube channel and all whatever your questions are or comments, or if you know of uh, uh, a really, what, what I'm looking for are really cutting edge people who are doing scalable things that are gonna enhance life. Like, you know, my goal is to trans, do my part in transforming this culture into one that where humans enhance life. And, and I know it's possible. It just takes enough of us getting the message. And then finally, for those of you who are interested in personal or business coaching, that's one of my other passions is I work individually with people who are trying to achieve their business goals and their personal goals. I work pe with people who are committed, who are on a mission to enhance life on earth. Um, and I work on all levels. I work on the personal happiness, productivity, um, and effectiveness of your business plans. Because that's been my journey. My journey has been one of trying to enhance life and to have a great life. And really to have it all in a way that enhances life. It means you have to limit yourself. I'll just leave you with that. So having it all means you have to limit yourself. Uh, having it all and enhancing life means that you have to limit yourself. But it's a contradiction because the limiting actually makes you have more of what you want. And if you want to talk more about that, let me know in the comments. Or if you want me to make a video about that, I'd be happy to do that as well. Um, have a wonderful day. Until we connect again.